head. Fuck off, that's not your head. Uh, I have so much hair now. What? Wait, your head is on my body, and my head is on your body? Pickles, how could you fuck this up so bad? Meow. Translation. Oh, this is so much better! I I'm back to being tall again! I'm back to being so average it hurts! Uh, by the way, um, when did Pickles become a mad scientist? He's rebuilt our bodies using old Windows ME machines, cheese curds, and vape juice. He also built himself a translator, apparently? Meow. Alright. Well, thanks, Pickles. I wanted to be dead, but now I'm not, and things are so much worse! Yeah, you know, it's really shitty that our history lab got blown up. Eh, whatever. It was old and dusty anyway. Well, we're gonna rebuild it, though, right? Eh, maybe. Maybe not. But our space station gives us direct access to a new Martian audience! Ha! Now that's what I call an untapped market! Wait, wait, we have a space station? Since when? Taxation is theft! <laughs> I still can't believe we have a space station. How did you get the funds to make this thing? I am best friends with Elon Musk. I thought he was a hack fraud. <laughs> Why do you think we're friends? What? What the fuck? Lord History, we meet again! Why, it's impossible. There were two tons of TNT beneath the History Lab. Anything is possible with Gary Johnson in the White House? Yeah! Wait. What planet do you think you're on? Planet us! Yeah, this is our space station, not yours, Lord History! Pull the lever, James! On it! The history of the world is at stake <laughs> So, James, now that we're at home and nicely nestled into our little space station, shall we start the show? behind him, he would unfold a makeup kit mirror stuck to the ceiling of the plane by a piece of fucking chewing gum and have a look. <laughs> Can you believe that? That is the dinkiest piece of garbage I've ever heard. Talk about dead people, a podcast where we pick two dead people and talk about their lives. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, James D. Say hi, James. Has this ever happened to you? <laughs> what? <laughs> Nothing, that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> that's all I have, folks. Signing off. That's good enough. We hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down these characters from the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that James and I will do our amateurs best to give a basic account, basic account, I can do words, of the major events in these people's lives and how they responded to them. We also hope to give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're going to try anyway. So, James, who do we have this week? We have Charles Lindbergh and Ulysses S. Grant. <laughs> How do you get a name like Ulysses? Oh, I don't we'll, even... we'll cover that. We'll cover that. Uh, we will? It's, it's not his real name. It's... What? Yeah, it's actually not. Oh my god. You can blame the government for his name. Alright, well, <laughs> let's, uh, while we blame the government, how about we fuck on off down to the history lab? With all haste! legendary pilot who made the not first transatlantic flight 
The other, a Civil War... General? <laughs> a Civil War General with a drinking problem. In the battle for who can be the coolest, only one can win the trophy for... Dick size. <laughs> so, James, tell me. Mm -hmm. If you had to design an ultimate super weapon, Shit. what would it be? Oh, man. Uh... <laughs> okay. Uh, I would call it the Slaparama. <laughs> and all you would need for it would be uh, an umbrella, an old wagon wheel... And mm -hmm. maybe a dozen or so severed hands of your enemy. What the hell? Oh, and a whole <laughs> bunch of rubber bands. Anyway, so what you do is you take the umbrella handle, you put the uh, old wagon wheel on top of it, uh, and then you attach all those severed hands to each spoke of the wagon, and then you wind the whole thing up with rubber bands, and then you hold the umbrella handle, and when you let go of the rubber bands, it spins around clockwise really fast and slaps anyone around. <laughs> Thus the slaparama. Oh. That sounds good, and I can't believe you came up with that on the spot. That's really <laughs> elaborate. <laughs> well, uh, I think Reagan had a few laws against this in the Cold War. I don't know. <laughs> what would your ultimate super weapon be? Well, I was thinking about this in advance because I wrote the question. Mm. Uh, wait, I didn't write it. I came up with the question. You cheat. Uh, I would put Richard Nixon <laughs> at the end of a long stick. Just hmm. st stick him on there, right? Okay, flood the Imperial And then you style. could swing it around, <laughs> and it would be like a, a shepherd's crook, because he's like, you know, he's a crook. Oh or my whatever. god. Or, or <laughs> and you can herd your sheep and your sheeple all at the same time. <laughs> uh, so, computer, please bring up Charles Lindbergh and Ulysses S. Grant. Affirmative, my lord. So... James, <laughs> if you had to design an ultimate super weapon, what the fuck? <laughs> We're past that. <laughs> okay, so what is Charles Lindbergh best known for? Charles Lindbergh is best known for winning the Ortigue Prize. I think that's how it's pronounced, uh -huh. uh, but it's probably not because you know I can't read. <laughs> um, it just means that he was the first man to fly from New York City to Paris nonstop. Oh, okay. Yeah. Indeed. And what yeah. does this dude look like? Chuck Lindbergh looks like a skinny gingerbread man version of Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And that's not a reach. Well... Just go look at him. <laughs> so yeah. uh, what was Ulysses S. Grant best known for, James? Ulysses S. Grant is best known for being a real-life American Ned Stark. Who the hell is Ned Stark? Oh, my God. Oh! Game of Thrones. Yeah. Game of Thrones. Oh boy. Really? Yeah. Does, so he's Sean Bean? Basically, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Fucking. <laughs> so he's gonna lose his head at the end of this, right? Uh, or get shot well, by an Urukai or one of the, one fall of into a giant satellite. <laughs> <laughs> Steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, pretty, pretty yeah. close. Yeah. So what did this Ulysses S. Grant best, uh, best look like? What did he look like? <laughs> well, in most of his pictures, Ulysses S. Grant looks like an ex-hipster who now does nothing but drink, look sad, and perform in Civil War reenactments. 
So basically us, right? <laughs> oh, oh, yes, yes, just like us. <laughs> uh, let me let me ask, like, straight up front. Did he commit any kinds of atrocities or anything horrible? Uh, no, he was just following orders. <laughs> because the... Oh, shit. <laughs> Our snowflake listeners have requested a trigger warning because Talat Pasha was so fucking Whoa, dark. Whoa, oh, really? Did someone really... Oh... I've had I've had exactly three people approach me already since what two days ago when we released it, oh dear. <laughs> telling me you gotta warn us about that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. So are. way to go, James! You horrified our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, we do. <laughs> we, I mean, one week it's Tarare, and the next it's the Armenian genocide. I mean, that is that is slightly on us for making those it is, those it is. leaps. It is quite a contrast, though I think we've gotten used to it because we've been reading about tyrants and shit like that for a while now. Okay. Um, but yeah. Well, then we'll... Oh, you know what we should have? We should have, like, a mm. whole a whole system of trigger warnings, like a one through five system. Five, oh, okay. Five being, like, the the absolute worst. So, like Armenian genocide. Yeah, Talat Pasha was definitely a number five. Uh, I'd put Grant at a solid two trigger warning. Okay. Uh, like, there's mm. not much bad stuff. Okay. Uh, the, I mean, there is some racism and slavery. I mean, we're dealing with the Civil War. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it's a war, so some other things. <laughs> but, yeah, I'd say between a one and a two of, uh, trigger warnings for you fucking commie snowflakes. <laughs> anyway. I don't blame them, because <laughs> I listen when I was listening to you talk, and I was, I was editing it later, I'm like, Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> and, and my and I and on the air, I just like devolved into this babbling mass. <laughs> like, yeah, it was. Oh my God, Jesus Christ! And you know, it was horrific. What's the pattern? What's the pattern, James? You know, like, yeah, oh, creepy. Yeah, well, I apologize yeah. for. Well, no, I apologize no, no. that we no, didn't no. give a trigger warning. I don't apologize for giving out the information because everyone, yeah. we got to know about that stuff. That's right, and nobody knows the name Talat Pasha. I didn't know it until you started talking about him, so there you go. Yep, there we go. All right, there we go, and on we go through the snow. High and low, hidey ho Charles Lindbergh's early life. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Chuck Lindbergh was born in Detroit. Oh, shit. <laughs> but it was 1902, so it wasn't really oh, anything okay. yet. <laughs> uh, so he was born there, but he grew up in Little Falls, Minnesota. Hmm. His ancestry was Swedish. Oh, yay! Uh, yeah, in fact, yeah, so yay for the Swedes. Uh, in fact, his father had been born in Sweden, but had immigrated to Minnesota as a wee babe. Mm -hmm. And Lindbergh's mother was named Evangeline, L Evangeline Lodge Land Lindbergh. <laughs> the triple L. Which is hysterical. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't matter much because Chuck's parents separated in 1909 when he was only seven. Oh. <laughs> uh, but Chuck stayed with his dad and worked the family farm while his old dad did lawyering and congressmanning on the side. Okay. Um, so he was at least a minorly prominent figure, so to speak. Right. Um, but little Chuck attended Cass Technical High School in Detroit where his mother taught chemistry uh, but that's not exactly right, because he also went there to, like, a ton of different schools all over the goddamn place, mm. including Washington, D.C. Oh. and fucking California. Oh. <laughs> uh, after his mom moved there, he, and he went to stay with her for a time. He had to go to school. Sure. Okay. Pretty privileged. So, in 1920... Like... What? <laughs> what? I don't know. He's just all over the place. 
Yeah, he's all over the fucking place, and that is going to be a theme, believe me. Oh. Oh, well. So, in 1920, Charles Lindbergh turned 18 and went to college, hmm. uh, but dropped out two years later oh. because he heard a heavenly call from above to just fucking get his flight training already because he's Charles goddamn Lindbergh. <laughs> Yeah. So, since he was a kid, Charles Lindbergh loved him some machinery, particularly ambulatory devices, which is to say, things that move people places. Thank you for defining me, or defining that, because I had no idea what the fuck it meant. Yeah, yeah. so, because <laughs> uh, we don't know what an ambulance is. Nope. Um, never been in one, never for uh, alcohol overdose, never. <laughs> So anyway, <clears throat> he's Charles Lindbergh is the kind of dude who would like tinker with cars and motorcycles just for the hell of it. Um, but he was mostly interested in flight because it was, you know, the cutting edge at that time. Right. Um, which is why he decided to go to flight school. Brilliant. Mm, you know. mm -hmm. There you go. So he took his first flight as a passenger the very same year he dropped out of college. That's 1922. Mm -hmm. uh, and this first flight was in a Lincoln Standard J biplane. <laughs> Which looks like your standard biplane with really elongated upper wings. Oh. That's not technical terminology, upper wings. That's just how my dumbass decided to phrase it. <laughs> I believe it's the Dorpheus mechanism and how it amplifies the Doppler effect. <laughs> Dorpheus. <laughs> Dorkiest. Oh, God. <laughs> Anyway, mm. so days after taking his first flight in which he was a passenger, he took his first flying lesson oh. and got behind the controls. Uh -oh. uh, he obviously wasn't flying solo uh -huh. because he was so goddamn new at this, but also because he wouldn't be able to afford to pay for any damage that might occur because he wasn't any good at flying uh, yet. Right. Yeah, so he couldn't afford car insurance, but he was driving anyway. Mm. That's against the law, Charles. <laughs> but, uh, no, I don't know. I'm just, I'm bullshitting. I refuse the breathalyzer. <laughs> I don't care if you refuse it. It's pinned to your goddamn dashboard, and if you don't blow into it, you can't drive. <laughs> uh, that's that's That joke was supposed to go the other way at me. Or... Uh, I, I think, I, I laughed, so I don't know. <laughs> Even though it wasn't funny. Nope. <laughs> but anyway. that's what support is. What? <laughs> <laughs> We're supportive. We laugh at each other's not funny jokes. Yes. And it makes our show sound funnier than it is. <laughs> like living laugh tracks for each other. That's, that's exactly what we are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, so Lindbergh knew he wanted to be a pilot, so mm. he needed money for flight school. So he did the obvious thing for to, to get into flight school and started barnstorming. What? <laughs> Just storming into barns and rustling all the cattle. Oh. <laughs> no, not exactly. Barnstorming what? is basically a dead form of entertainment where people would do tricks with planes, like walk on the wings in flight or hang underneath by the landing How gear. How is that a dead form of entertainment? <laughs> I, Bring it, that no, back! <laughs> Some people still do Holy it, but cow. not many. And it was absolutely crazy, and people died all the time. Oh. Um, but it was good money. Hey, yeah, I could. So he wasn't... He, go, go ahead. No, I, I, never mind. Just go for it. You're going to make a joke? No, I wasn't. You being a barnstormer. <laughs> That's good. You? All I said was I would pay for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would pay for people to walk on my wings as well. Um, mm. But anyway, so... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so it paid really well. He wasn't doing the flying, but he still got to be around planes, so that made him happy. Mm. Um, but he also had another job working as an airplane mechanic in Montana. Uh, but when winter rolled around, he went back home to his old dad, 
and was there for a year and a half before he would take to the air again. Okay. Well, yeah. sounds so, good. Yeah, so he's taking a little time off. Yeah. But anyway, so he broke his airplane fast by taking his first solo flight in May 1923 somewhere in Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, where he had gone to buy himself a World War One. Jesus Christ, too much coffee. A World War One surplus plane called a Jenny. And remember, he's only flown in assisted sort of <laughs> capacities. Right. But so he buys this plane and just takes off. Oh. Okay. From that field <laughs> and flies around for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, like. All over the state. Wow. And so he did this for a week, and then he just flew his plane across the country. Just, he decided to do it. Yeah, wow. he just did it. Isn't that crazy? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so, and like, on his way to finance his journey, he would barnstorm yeah. uh, to pay for the fuel, and he got this unbelievably clever nickname called <clears throat> Daredevil Lindbergh, <laughs> which I know is just the most brilliant oh, nickname ever devised. <laughs> So, yeah, he spent 1923 barnstorming and making money doing it and, you know, just flying around, like, seeing the country. Yeah. Um, he also took his first night flight, which must have been stressful. <laughs> but anyway, so, yeah, he's just flying around the country, you know, living the dream. He just got his pilot's license, and he's, like, literally living free. That's, yeah, talk about untouchable freedom. Isn't that cool? Yeah, because I'm sure this like, is before most air codes or whatever, so he can just go wherever the hell he wants. Yeah, it's like the beginning, the early days of the internet. <laughs> uh, except much, much, much cooler. <laughs> right. I mean, flying around in a steampunk plane, just visiting all over the place, and then barnstorming for fun and money? Yeah. I mean, dude. Dude. Anyway, you hear that? That's the sound of a plane. It's Charles Lindbergh! It's Charles Dear Lindbergh! Dear Lindbergh! In the spirit! In the uh, flesh! Uh, he's like super dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, then in the bone. In the bones, yes. Yes. We talk about dead people. Wow, that was lame. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, he's flying around. He ends up in Lone Rock, Wisconsin, uh-huh. uh, where he was just in time to fly a doctor across the Wisconsin River a few times uh, to answer calls uh, from people who were suffering from injuries caused by flooding. Ooh, okay. Wow, uh, hero. Unfortunately, like, there weren't, like, actual airfields and things, mm. so he fucked up his plane pretty bad while landing on one of these missions, and then proceeded to fuck it up again while flying his father to a campaign rally what? because <laughs> his dad was running for Senate. <laughs> But let's let's think about that for a second because this is pretty early on in the age of aviation. So mm-hmm. being a senator or running for senator, arriving at a camp- campaign rally in a plane, that must have been yep. huge. Yes, it was, and uh, that'll come up in a later episode, I believe. Actually. Oh. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. Didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> what's a barnstorming son of a bitch like Lindbergh to do? Uh, invent. The trolley. (laughs) No, you don't sell the plane, of course. (laughs) He patches the fucking thing up and he sells it. And then he goes and joins this guy named Leon Klink to barnstorm some more. Uh, And this is around 1924, so Lindbergh is in his early 20s right about now. Mm -hmm. And the barnstorming gig ends in San Antonio, Texas. And then Lindbergh joins the United States Army Air Service, where he trains to become a fighter pilot. Good for him. I know. I know. That's what every young boy should do. Yep, join the military. <laughs> it never goes wrong. <laughs> no, never ever. <laughs> That's the military's um, motto. <laughs> what? 
Just any military, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> it never goes wrong. Not for our brave boys, no sir. That's true. Yeah. Never lost so the anyway. war. Back-to-back <laughs> -back World War winners. <laughs> oh my god, so I saw the trailer for this new movie, Overlord. Oh no. And oh, I was like, I was like, oh my god, it's gonna be a D-Day movie, and it's gonna be so fucking gross. And for like the first minute of the trailer, that's exactly what it is. Okay. Uh, it's this sanitized, like, D-Day Hollywood bullshit. Um, hmm. You know, like, it's absolutely stupid looking. But I, And I was like, it's what I expected. You know, everybody who does D-Day now is like... It's not even like Saving Private Ryan levels of realism. It's like... And it's not even like a good poem or, or like a myth or something. Yeah. It's just stupid, right? Yeah. But anyway, so the first minute goes on and I'm like rolling my eyes. And then suddenly they're zombies. Whoa, no! Yeah, oh. Nazi zombies. Oh, of course. It couldn't... It couldn't get any fucking worse. Um, I don't know, but I dare you to watch that trailer and not cringe all the way through. Mm. It made me so fucking angry. I was just like, you know, those Call of Duty fanboys are gonna love it, though. Oh yeah, I sold Call of Duty to a to somebody the other day. Um, Good for you. World War Two, the Gold Edition. He was like nine. Ugh. His mom had to buy it for him. She goes, "Is this game violent?" And he's like, "No." <laughs> and I'm like, "It's fucking rated M. <laughs> Pay attention to what your kids are playing." Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so I hit enter on the keypad. I'm like, "Mom's buying it." So okay. <laughs> anyway, so enough about that. Okay. So he's joined the the uh, the air force, mm -hmm. basically the air service. Uh, in about a year, he's eight days from graduating his fighter pilot school. And then he gets into a goddamn mid-air collision. Oh, shit. Yeah. And he ditches his plane and parachutes to the ground, presumably feeling like his whole career was fucked. Yeah. Uh, but get this, he still graduates. Uh, okay. And he, he doesn't just graduate, he graduates at the top of his <laughs> class! <laughs> so he earns a commission as a second lieutenant in the Air Service Reserve Corps. Uh. And then he just goes back to barnstorming because the U.S. isn't at war. <laughs> <laughs> right. Not yet, anyway. Oh. Uh, nonetheless, he still did some work for the Army, enough to get him promoted to captain in July 1926. And during this time, he was delivering mail by air between St. Louis and Chicago. Hmm. This could have been an awesome phase of Lindbergh's life because he had applied to be a pilot on the Richard Byrd North Pole Expedition. Because apparently they were going to fly planes to the North Pole. Oh, or right. Like that. right. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. But he didn't get in. Uh. Uh, so he kept flying mail. Hmm. And one night he's approaching Chicago, which you should never nope. do at night. No, um, with a new Go back to whence you came. Go back wherever it was. Go back. <laughs> get away. Um, so anyway, he's approaching Chicago one night with a new delivery of mail, and his plane just dies. Uh, so he has to abandon it, and then it happens again, like a little while later. So he's lost two planes in this airmail job. So... Is he, are they stalling in the, while he's in the air, or while he's on the yeah, ground? Yeah, basically. And he's jumping out and parachuting to the ground and just watching these, you know, canvas rickety things careen into the, you know, the wasteland below. Is he, like, holding all of the mail as he's parachuting down? Yes, actually. Oh, wow. So he grabs as much as he can, and then he tries to recover the rest from the accidents later. Wow. And he does a great job of doing it, too. <laughs> Um, so things are going great, and then something else happens, but we'll get back to that when we get back to Charles Lindbergh's adult life! Oh, okay, yeah, good. That's where we're gonna stop. That's where we're gonna stop. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. He started so James, her... uh... What? What? <laughs> what? The delay is bad today. It is bad. I was gonna say, he stopped carrying the male to start carrying the female. 
Just what? shoot me. What? Just shoot me, please. Please. No, no you don't deserve it. No, don't make me myself. All right, fine, fine. All right. Any last words? Uh, a white mocha in the hand and a crown of thorns in the heart. What the fuck? <laughs> Hey, so we're not going to release the fake episode yet, so I think we should say something to our patrons. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We got a big donation. Did we? Uh, yeah, from Randy. And we got another donation from other Randy. Two Randys! Two Randys! When one Randy is not enough, two shall be there to pick you up and take you to victory. Uh, and that is what they're doing, because Randy... Randy won? Uh... What did he win? Randy won? Um, he won our, our love forever, <laughs> and he also gave enough to choose a person on the podcast. Ooh. So we're going to be covering, he gave us several suggestions, actually, and we're going to pick from them. And uh, that is his bonus. Wow. Yeah. And we've also been in contact, and he's a really nice guy, it seems, and he listens to us while working out. And I'm assuming he works out all the time and has, like, a six-pack mm -hmm. and is super, super hot. So, ladies... Ladies. Let Randy give you the Randy. <laughs> well, I don't even know if if Randy Randy one is heterosexual, so ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go get him. And uh he's probably working out while listening to this right now. So so maybe we should give him some workout advice because you and I <laughs> we are expert weight carriers. <laughs> no, Randy doesn't need our advice. But Randy does need us to count his reps. Okay, Randy? Alright, we're gonna count. Okay, him. yep. <clears throat> 10,701. 10,702. Oh, feel the burn. Yeah, oh, baby. Only 15,000 more to go, baby. You can do it. We believe in you. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Randy one, Randy two. Um, you're probably working out too. <laughs> you guys are like so buff and sexy, I can't even believe it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I can just detect your sexiness from here. Wow. That's uh, yes. that's the radiation poisoning. But thank you, Randy, yes. number two. Yes. We uh, yeah. don't know what we would do without you. It's amazing. Like, it seems like anyone who just, like, gives a couple bucks or, you know, as Randy did, 15 bucks to the show, hmm. it seems like they instantly turn super hot. Like, I don't know what it is, man. Huh. I don't know what it is. But it well, just happens. To each his own. <laughs> By the way, I have uh, I have some weight loss pills to sell. <laughs> they don't they don't work that e that fast, but it will be that easy. What's that quote from Michael Scarn? I don't remember. I don't know what a Scarn is. Anyway, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna drink a beer to both Randys because they deserve it. To you, Randy number one and Randy number two, we salute God you. God bless you. God bless you. And to our other patrons, the two Adams, the Becca, the Roy. The Roy? Is it, do we have Roy? No, I'm thinking of Ian. Ian. <laughs> we know all of your names, even if we, we know may all not your names. say them now. <laughs> I, can, I can find them. <laughs> no, it's hard to remember that many names, you know? You know? Yeah. But hey. And to but all hey. of our listeners. And to all we, of our uh, listeners. We do love Here's you. Here's to you. James is going to drink a beer, and I'm going to take a vape. <sighs> That's for you. <laughs> <laughs> They're yeah. all gonna stop yeah. listening oh. to us now. 
well, I don't blame him. I, I don't, don't blame him because we haven't gotten into Ulysses S. Grant's early life. That's true. I think we should get into Ulysses S. Grant's early life. Well, let's Ulysses do it. Yes. <laughs> Take it away, James. I will. Ulysses S. Grant begins his life by not being named Ulysses S. Grant. Oh! That's right. What was his real name? His, uh, his birth name was Hiram Ulysses Grant. It's Hiram. Come on. <laughs> you passed my Didn't you pass. hear Bryce saying Hiram because he thought he was, like, the real founder of Mormonism? I wasn't like on that, that show because I had to oh, work. That's right. Oh, right. So it's Hiram. Yeah, that was bullshit. We'll have to redo that. Or do that again sometime, I should say. Yeah. I think I just broke my vape. What the fuck? Shit. Okay. It's gone. So, Hiram Grant. <laughs> Hiram. Hiram. Carry on. <laughs> so, Hiram Ulysses Grant was born on April 27th, 1822 in wonderful old Ohio. Well, at least it's not Indiana. True. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and let me tell you that Grant's family was just about 110% American. Oh, yeah, baby. All right, you ready for this? What were they doing? So, Gr Grant's great-grandfather fought in the French and Indian War. Grant's grandfather served in the American Revolution, and particularly at Bunker Hill. Oh, my God. And Grant's father was born in absolute poverty and bullied up... T or what? Bullied? bullied? Pulled. He was bullied? What? No, it's pulled. Oh. God damn it, I wrote this so wrong. I, I mean, we, didn't, we don't have a script, but... Okay. Okay, right. so redoing that. <laughs> uh, Grant's father was born in absolute poverty, but then he pulled up his bootstraps, put the kettle on the oven, placed the cat in the oven, smothered himself in <laughs> mud to protect against angry hornets, and worked his way right. up to become a successful tanner and merchant. That ended way differently than I expected. Well, it's the American way. You can't expect it. But hey, it. tanners and merchants, man, they make all the money back then, don't That's they? That's true, yeah. Mm. Uh, mm. All right. What's also neat is Grant's father was a fervent abolitionist. Uh, Why? Well, he was uh, very religious, but I also mm -hmm. think he was just a fucking human being and believed slavery oh, yeah. was wrong. <laughs> Even though abolishing slavery was a pretty un-American idea at that time. Which, uh, uh, well, yeah. It was that. It was a dirty European idea. Uh, well, it was that's a, what the narrative a dirty was back human then. Idea. I mean... <laughs> no, no, I... No, I'm saying that making a joke. The oh. Europeans were were abolishing slavery yeah. way before we yeah. were. Yeah, and, and so... peacefully too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, America's the only no Western war. civilization that had to fight a war and kill almost seven hundred thousand of our own people to get rid of slavery. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. But anyway, so uh, carry real on. quick, shout out to Denmark. Uh, I believe being the first <laughs> European country to get rid of slavery. Really? Yeah, something like that. Impressive. Anyway. Anyway. Hooray for you. So little Granty was born, and his parents decided on his name by dumping a bunch of names into a hat, pulling out one at a time, and uh, lo and behold, it was Ulysses. Ah, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but Ulysses' dad right. wanted to honor his father-in-law, who liked the name... Hiram. <laughs> Hiram. 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 <laughs> Harem. Uh, nothing like a high ram. Uh, the high ram and the harem. Oh, I've got something about rams coming up on a later episode. You'll see. Okay. I shit you the fuck out. Oh, it's amazing. Shit. It's going to blow your mind. Uh, it's going to blow your all mind. Right, You're going to love for it. it. Yeah, but okay. Later. And the listeners are probably now like, ooh, what the fuck is he talking and about? And they're also I'll like, tell come you on, we're 30 minutes into this goddamn episode and you haven't talked about anything yet except for Charles Lindbergh's early life. Yeah, but, but, 
We're going to also talk about a couple of things uh, in an upcoming episode, including the border. Yeah. The border? Oh! The border. I bet you're all, like, super interested now. But it's not political, I promise. Oh, oh well, darn. Not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So. How can we talk a border if there are no borders? <laughs> I'm, right, sure I'm done. I'm done. Bored. Go on. <laughs> what? Oh, God damn it. You fuck. All right. So this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this little. So they named him Ulysses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, most people just called him Ulysses, right? Okay. So at the age of five, Grant began his formal education, which uh, included a series of various private schools. And Grant was truly an all-American boy of the 1800s. He showed mm. to be an expert horseman. Great. And we're not talking centaur. We're talking riding a horse in the strictly platonic way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I apologize. I didn't sleep at all last night. I took four sleeping pills, and I didn't even die. Well, <laughs> that wasn't my goal, but I didn't fall asleep either. <laughs> Yeah, James has had a rough couple of nights. Yeah. He's yeah. not been sleeping well, but here he is, like the hero he is. Woo! Mm -hmm. Anyway, cocaine. so Ulysses, <laughs> uh, with the help of his father, started his own business while still a child. <laughs> of course he did, it's America. But, <laughs> right. Uh, so he drove wagons uh, uh, to transport people and supplies all around town. So kind of like what Charles Lindbergh was doing with the mail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and interestingly enough, while Grant's parents were devout Methodists, Grant was allowed to not attend church for the rest of his... Or, sorry, that's the end of the sentence. I'm a dumbass. So <laughs> his parents were like, all right, little Grant, you don't have to come to church with us. And he appreciated that. Oh. Uh, and for the rest nice. of his life, he did all of his worship and praying in private. And he might even have been agnostic. Like, that's how... Um, that's how little we know about his religious life. Um, interesting. Yeah. Ooh. So it, it is interesting. But anyway, uh, being agnostic is not American. Uh, no. no. No, it's not. But do you know what is American, Aaron? Uh, uh, <laughs> eating giant-ass burritos ten at a time and shooting animals. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, those are the two, uh, two of the three points of being an American. The third point is going to West Point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, God. So West Point, East Point, North Point, South Point. Mm -mm -mm. Why isn't there a South Point? Let me tell you why. Because the South sucks. They lost the war. <laughs> All right. No, according according to Texas, they won the war. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, whatever. They don't remember. <laughs> they just don't remember. We'll get into the war later because we are talking about Grant. Okay, right. great. So, uh, Grant's dad wins the Father of the Year award. So, he realized that his son hated tanning. So instead of expecting him to run the family business later, Grant's dad sent a letter to a state representative named Thomas Hamer and asked for Hamer to nominate 16-year-old Grant for a full scholarship at West Point. And he did Damn. it! Wow. <laughs> yeah. So Grant was given a full full scholarship to West Point, but uh, he did not want to go, which was kind of surprising. What? Weird. Yeah, Grant was a shy and quiet boy, and he also believed that he wasn't uh, near or smart enough to do well at West Point. Um, wow. He thought he was stupid. It's kind of sad. <laughs> that is sad. I hear that a lot. Yeah. I meet a lot of intelligent people who think they're stupid. Mm -hmm. And a lot of I stupid people. I meet a lot of stupid people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like you and me. Yes. 
<laughs> so, All right, so he's going to West so Point. I, yeah, he just goes to, to West Point. But there is a problem. Uh, mm. Yeah, so Thomas Hamer, who had approved Grant, wrote his name down not as his real name, but as Ulysses S. Grant. Uh, because the S had something to do with Grant's mom's maiden name, I think? Uh, I don't oh, know. Oh, shit. Anyway, West Point has a rule where they can't change a name once it was in the system. <laughs> wow. So Ulysses S. Grant uh, became his real name from here on out. Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. Also, his initials are U.S. Grant. <laughs> U.S. <laughs> Talk about American. What an American. <laughs> yeah, and throughout West Point, most people just call them Uncle Sam Grant or Uncle <laughs> Sam or just Sam. <laughs> That's amazing. It is pretty great, yeah. Wow. Does that have anything to do with... No, obviously Uncle Sam existed before that. What? Who is Uncle Sam? I don't know that shit. Big Brother's watching you or Uncle Sam is watching you. <laughs> I don't know. Uncle Sam is watching you right now. That just sounds creepy. He loves it. <laughs> That's the point. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, All right. for the first year of school at West Point, Grant was not too happy about the whole thing, but he soon came around and later wrote, On the whole, I like this place very much. And that's an actual that's recording, actually. Uh, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. wow. Yep. Via stethoscope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, never mind. Carry on. All right. So Grant is still a, a great horse rider and spent much of his time riding horses and studying cavalry. Uh, and mm -hmm. he became known as the best horseman in all of West Point, and even set a high jump record that stood for 25 years. Uh, wow, so that's kind of neat. That is cool. And th this is something I had no idea about, but he also got into painting at school. And he produced really? several paintings, some of which still exist today. Wow. And I looked them up, uh, expecting to see a bunch of slop on the page, but they're actually pretty good. Really? Yeah, so look at Grant's <laughs> paintings. They're of, like, Native Americans and American scenery and horses. Of course, horses, but... You little sees yeah. Grant yeah. paintings. Right. It's gonna be a painting of him, I'm sure. So, uh, every th uh, Grant's starting to like life at West Point, but not everything is great. Uh, cadets were forced to attend the acad or the Academy's <laughs> church every Sunday, and Grant hated this. Mm -hmm. uh, he also hated the pompous attitudes that many officers <clears throat> held. He had much more respect for the leaders who uh, were out in the mud and blood with their troops, rather than at dinner parties showing off their medals. Yeah, so, well, of course. Yeah, this is a theme that comes up. Grant is really a soldier's soldier, if that makes sense. He's not, like, he's not one of those high and mighty officers, even though he technically is, but his, he's out there with his boys. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay. That's, so that'll that's come kind up of a later. good thing. Yeah, well, for sure, yeah. yeah. So Grant graduated from West Point on June 30th, 1843, and graduated smack dab in the middle of his class, so not Perfect. too great. Yeah. <laughs> also, despite his material. phenomenal horsemanship... <laughs> what? <laughs> not president material. <laughs> not yet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Karen. So. Despite his phenomenal horsemanship, Grant was not placed with the cavalry, but instead sent off with the 4th Infantry Regiment to St. Louis, Missouri. That's a uh, really common problem yeah. <laughs> this, these days. Oh, you got a degree in this? Well, how about you work in that? Yeah, exactly. I was yeah. carted off. Well, never mind. All right, carry on. Pretty much. 
Uh, there were some good things happening with Grant, though. Uh, oh. While in Missouri, Grant visited one of his friend's homes, uh, and they were just sitting in the living room playing Xbox, when all of a sudden, <laughs> BAM, in walks his friend's sister, Julia. Oh my god. Yep. And the two quickly fall head over heels in love, and they marry four years later in 1848. Wow, I thought you were going to say something like four weeks later so they could get married in case they both got sick with the influenza or something. I don't know. No, this is, this is a classic 1800s front porch dating, my friend. Mmm, uh, front porch dating. Gotta love it. Mm -mm. Yep. Mm. Front porch. Yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to beat that, isn't it? Mm. Do you mm. prefer the front porch or the back porch? I knew you were going to say that because... <laughs> Oh my god, just cut Oh my god. Yeah, cut that out, please. Just uh, yep, no, nope. that's gonna, I'm gonna edit that out. Marking, marking. <laughs> Alright, that'll, that'll, I'll cut that out. <laughs> Definitely gonna cut that out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Alright, so. That was low even for me. Alright. <laughs> and they're getting married. Um, yeah, so they got, they got married. Uh, anyway, the country at this time was divided over this little thing you may or may not have heard of. It's called slavery. Oh! Yeah. Turns out that Julia's family were all slave owners, while Grant's family were all strict abolitionists. Uh, thus, Grant's parents refused to attend the wedding. Oh, oh, oh yeah. well. Uh, I mean... But they were a strict abolitionists. They wouldn't go to the wedding because... Yeah, you gotta give them credit for that, really. Like, that's a moral stand, I guess. I mean, their own son's wedding. Yeah, and the, the good thing is they didn't hold it against Julia. She was welcomed in the, into their family, but... They just can't, they don't support slavery at all, so I'm on board. <laughs> that's that's putting your money where your mouth is. It really mm -hmm. is, yeah. Yeah. So. But then, the oh, day God. of December 29th, 1845 rolls around, and what happened on this day? December 29th, isn't that Christmas? Yes. <laughs> if, yeah. <laughs> if you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> So what happened on December 29, 1845? Texas was incorporated into the United States and became the 28th state of the Union. Oh yeah, baby. It became the state of the Union. The mm -hmm. only state. It's like a whole nother country. <laughs> I love Texas. Anyway, uh, we'll get into the history of Texas more in a future episode coming up. Uh, there's there's this little thing called the Alamo in it. Uh, Davy, Davy Crockett. Yes, Disney's going to sue us yep, for that. we're sued. Yep. We are we're officially fucked. sued. We are officially sued. The show's over. Let me just put these boards up on my window right here. <laughs> yep. All right, so... Uh, so the, the quick history is Texas was a part of Mexico, then it declared itself independent, and it was its own country for a little while, kind of, depending on who you ask. Okay. Uh, and it fought some fights against Mexico, uh, who refused to acknowledge its independence. And the United States didn't really want to annex Texas at first, because this might mean war with Mexico, but eventually they did, and guess what? War with Mexico. Oh, God. God. Oh, um, wait, pardon me. What I mean is... Oh my gosh! Aaron, do you know what time it is? It's no. time for the Mexican-American War! Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> the Mexican-American War. Yep. So after a uh, war broke out between Mexico and the States, Grant and his unit were sent to Louisiana under General, uh, or Major General, my mistake, oh, Zachary Taylor, which is a pretty badass name. Yeah. Zachary Taylor, is that the president? It could be. I I think it is. I think it is. <laughs> Zachary Taylor. 
I'm let's sure see, maybe is. he came before, but we don't know our history. We're just a couple adults with some mics, so... Zachary yep. Taylor was the 12th president of the United States. The and what president? Like the 12th. And he did serve in the Mexican-American War, so that's him. Well, there you go. No. Okay. Yeah. So he's rubbing shoulders with presidents. With presidents? Presidents? I can't pronounce it. Yeah. I didn't do my diction exercises before we started, so I just slur my words together. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah. Gotta get those diction okay. exercises in. <laughs> Anyway. Addiction. Yeah. God. Addiction so they're in Louisiana and they're watching Mexican movement, protecting against right, Mexican movement. Are you just uh, ignoring me? What? I am. Sorry, I can barely hear you. You're like oh, why? You're a little mouse. You're like a little mouse inside of my ear speaking all this what? propaganda. And it's. Uh, but my. Could you have your volume cranked? Uh, somewhat. How about your playback volume? Uh. Uh. <laughs> in audacity. Yeah, it's all the way up. It is? Yeah. Uh, okay? Uh, you can't hear me at all. Well, let me turn down my volume even more. Can you hear? <laughs> wait, wait. No, I still can't hear you. What? Okay, now a little bit. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to mark this. Uh -huh. We're going to... Yeah, okay. So we're at 4830. 48.30 around there. All right. <clears throat> Mic adjust. And I'm going to turn up my gain so you can hear me better. All right? Okay. How about now, baby? That's better. That's a lot better. A lot better? Yep. And how about now? Oh, now it's even better. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, that's because my gain is way high. Mm. Is that okay? Yeah, it's fine. All right. It's just everyone's going to be able to hear my air conditioner, but that's okay. Well, we'll just condition them to it. <laughs> oh, genius. King of comedy over here, everybody. Yep, yep. Mm -mm. Just shoot me. All, All right, right, so Mexican-American War, and he's working with uh, Major General Zachary Taylor. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Then President uh, James K. Pokey uh, becomes president, and he orders Major General Taylor to march his army straight to the Rio Grande. Oh, yeah. So they march into Texas, and Grant experiences real combat for the first time on May 8th, 1846, at the Battle of Palo Alto. Whoa. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and Grant basically shits his pants hearing enemy rifles for the first time. <laughs> what? Really? Yeah. Don't worry, though. Oh, this un-American attitude will change. Don't you worry. Don't. Don't. I'm not worried. I'm not worried. I know Ulysses S. Grant is like the coolest motherfucker on the planet. Oh, he's right? one of them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Pretty cool. No. No. Okay, so what happened next? bodies are cold. We are really, really struggling today. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to carry me. I didn't sleep at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm sorry you're having to do someone as big as Grant, but hey, hey. That's right. That's right. Mm. Okay. All right. So then what? So later, Grant was ordered to become a regimental quartermaster, but Grant yearned for a combat role. Uh, so he okay. started tweeting a bunch of complaints. And, as you do. Uh, yep. And finally, he was transferred to the role of combat and finally was allowed to join the cavalry. Yay! Where he belongs. Uh, yeah. So, uh, next up came the Battle of Rosaca de la Palma, or something like that, on May 9th, 1846, where Grant led a cavalry charge against the Mexicans, which aided in an American victory. Okay. And then came the fun little Battle of Monterey in late September of 1846, and during this battle, oh. uh, unfortunately, Grant brought shame to America by abandoning his fellow soldiers and hiding in a woodshed. Oh, damn. Oh, 
Oh, wait, just kidding! Yeah. In this battle, the Americans needed to send a message to another attachment of American soldiers. Grant was given the job, so he jumped on his horse and galloped away with the message. But on his journey, a whole bunch of Mexican snipers see him and begin blasting away at him. So Grant reposition repositions himself so he's just hanging off the side of his horse while going at full speed to continue delivering the message and avoiding the sniper bullets. Holy shit, that's amazing. Yes. That's some Metal Gear Solid shit oh, right I know. there. Yeah, it's, it's almost made up, but it's not. Oh, it's yeah. history. American history is never made up. Never. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since George W. Bush founded America in 1492. All right, uh, so when he gets to the other attachment, he delivered the message. He visited a bunch of wounded American soldiers and told them that help will soon be on the way. So, again, just filling that classic American role. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, because of some military politics, Grant's unit was transferred over to Major General Winfield Scott. And And does he ever win on the field? Oh, he, uh... (laughs) Only against the Scots. (laughs) (laughs) I should have said don't answer that. So right. he's with this Major General Winfield Scott, yep. and uh, and they, uh, so his ar- or Scott's army flanks uh, Mexican positions by traveling via the sea to Veracruz and then advancing straight towards Mexico City. Uh, mm. Scott met the Mexicans at both the battles of Molino del Rey and Chapultepec. Yeah, Chapultepec, something yeah. like that. Mm. Which were both American victories, and for his bravery at Molino del Rey, Grant was promoted to first lieut- lieutenant. And as the Americans were closing in around Mexico City, there was fierce fighting, of course. And during one engagement, Mm -hmm. Grant and some of his boys took pieces of a disassembled howitzer and dragged them into a church steeple, rebuilt the howitzer, and then just blasted the shit out of the nearby enemy. They brought a howitzer into a church steeple. Yes. Can you imagine how... I mean, I'm sure they were fucking heavy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. And the whole thing must have been shaking like hell and loud and... (laughs) And also you're in an exposed position. Right, that's... Well, everyone's going to be firing at you, yeah. Right. Except you do have a howitzer, so that's a plus. Kind of helps. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. So Grant's bravery here uh, uh, earned him the rank of captain, so he's moving up. And soon after the war ended and Mexico ceded basically the whole Southwest American states to the U.S. Yeah. Wow. As for Grant, though, uh, the Mexican-American War really shaped him both as a man and a commander. He carefully watched and analyzed how his superior officers fought, learned many of the tricks of the trade, and he also gained vast combat experience and quickly gained a good reputation among his fellow soldiers. Hmm. So this will all come into play later, right? Yes, right. (laughs) Uh, What's also interesting, although Grant fought for America in this war, he hated the Mexican-American War and thought that it was completely wrong. Really? Yeah. uh, He also... Well, remember that Grant's parents were fierce abolitionists, and uh, as was Grant. Right, right. And he saw the Mexican-American War as a sketchy way of winning land and expanding slavery from the United States. Oh, shit. So what you're saying is the federal government was trying to... He thought they were trying to expand... The like, slave... The slave trade. Self trade, yeah. And, or, what am I saying? And he states, thought, oh, yeah. so he was like, he was like, <clears throat> conspiracy theorist kind of guy. Kind of. Well, remember at this point, like, uh, I think at this point, most states were, uh, the had, slavery was illegal, but there were also the southern states where slavery was legal, and so you had like this almost 50-50 divide where 
the power was so equally divided that one side couldn't take over the other side, if that makes mm. sense. And now that Got there are a bunch it. more southern states, slavery might expand, which could tip that power struggle uh, to the side of slave owners. Uh, I see. Yeah. And Grant doesn't like that because he doesn't like slavery because he is un-American. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. All right. But, this, uh, of course, he's wrong because the Mexican-American War was just... It was for spreading freedom and democracy to the Mexicans. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. We gotta learn. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> here are some actual words of Grant looking back at the Mexican-American War. <clears throat> I was bitterly opposed to the measure, and to this day, regard the, regard the war, which resulted as one of the most unjust ever waged by a stronger against a weaker nation. Wow. Yeah, so not soft words. <laughs> you know, Grant sounds like a very principled person. Yeah, he, he is, yes. Um, yeah. Unwavering, yeah. Yeah. So later, and this is kind of getting ahead of myself, but it's uh, in regard to the Mexican-American War, Grant even believed that the American Civil War was divine judgment on the United States for its aggression against Mexico. That's really interesting. So he's hmm. totally against that war. It's totally against the Civil War, like, entirely, or... Oh, against the Mexican-American War, yeah. Oh, got it, got it, got it. We'll get okay. to the Civil War politics in a little bit, but... Woo! Anyway, yeah. <laughs> After the war, Grant remained in the Army and was stationed in Detroit... Uh, in number ...in November of 1848. Uh, then Grant took a four-month leave of service and came back only to find that he had basically been replaced and was now sent to this godforsaken shitty little camp in upstate New York. <laughs> Damn! Uh, Grant hated this place and worried about his wife who lived nearby because the place was just such a dump. Wow. Uh, like the rest of New York. But Grant didn't let this <laughs> stop him. <laughs> and he often went to town to buy little gifts for his wife. Which is oh, cute. that's so cute. <laughs> God damn. Finally, after four months, Grant was allowed to transfer, uh, and he went back to Detroit where he got back his job as quartermaster. And I put okay. this in just to realize that he's, I mean, he's successful in the army, but <laughs> not that big. <laughs> like, yeah. he's a quartermaster in Detroit, and then he got replaced. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, it's now the year of 1848, and things are quite lovely, and then all of the sudden, oh my god, dear lord, oh, shit. no, it can't be, Aaron, do you know what time it is? <laughs> it's time for the California Gold Rush of 1848! <laughs> yeah. I know you're trying to be quiet because my parents are downstairs. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not screaming like usual? Right, yes. But you're getting it. I mean, you're doing super fine. You're doing super fine. fine you are super fine. fine. All right. Mm -mm -mm. Yeah. So, uh, California Gold Rush, 1848. Mm? Yeah, and 49, which, um, I know nothing about football, but I think, and I could com be completely wrong, but the 49ers, that, uh, that one football team from California, mm -hmm. they're called the 49ers because of the 1849 Gold Rush, I believe. I, I heard that once, which is kind of neat. <laughs> I thought they were called the 49ers because they're all 49. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, okay. All right. So Grant and the 4th Infantry are told to reposition to California, but not before turning Grant's life into a really shitty video game level. What? And I'm not kidding. Um, so <laughs> don't look ahead. Don't look ahead. I'm not looking ahead. Okay. I won't look ahead. I, so I, have I mean, you can't look ahead. It's all in your brain. You're not writing it again. Yes, yes. Unless no, you lobotomize me. But anyway. So, in your opinion, Aaron, and your yes. experience, what are yes. the worst kind of video game levels? Escort missions. Oh my god, that's it. Yep. <laughs> what, really? <laughs> yeah. 
So the ahead. U.S. government basically gives Grant an escort mission. Oh, come on. <laughs> They're like, uh, okay, so a couple hundred U.S. civilians were interested in the California gold rush, and so the idea was to send them by boat from New York to the Central American country of Panama, and then mm -hmm. march overland to the Pacific, uh, and then sail from there to California. It's before the Panama Canal, so right. instead they're marching over Panama. This sounds like a really difficult journey. It does, yeah. yeah. And Grant mm. is <laughs> with a few soldiers and a couple hundred civilians. Well, he's given the job of escorting them, oh, which God. just sucks. Anyway, so... It sounds like something that would make a good premise for a movie if you ever want to do a biopic about Grant. Yes, well, th th I was thinking whole TV show because there are so many really amazing stories in his life. And this is one of them, yeah. Okay. So they make it to Panama, and all is uh, fair and well. And then a cholera epidemic breaks out, and just oh. begins killing everybody in his little party. Uh, so much so that they, uh, they have to pause their traveling and set a field hospital up. But things get worse when the medical staff refuse to get anywhere near the people with cholera. <laughs> oh, so what? So Grant fucking moves into the hospital and does the nursing himself. Oh, wow! <laughs> yeah, because on the top, This guy's a hero! Right, yeah. Yeah. So, eventually, the, sur the survivors, uh, they get moving again, and they eventually make it to California, and then Grant is repositioned to Oregon. But okay. this... He's starting to gain a popular image, of course, because everyone's right. like, wow, he moved into the Colorado-ridden hospital to help these people. Pretty amazing, yeah. Anyway, he's in Oregon, and here he has a pretty hard time. He's in the middle of nowhere, his wife and family are on the other side of the country, and he doesn't have the money to support them, so he begins several different business ventures while still on duty, and all of his attempts at business totally fail. <sighs> Damn it. Uh, also, there are a lot of Native Americans in the area, and Grant had to watch the white soldiers and settlers totally abuse the Indians on a daily basis, and Grant felt super bad for the plight of them. But was unable to do anything. So he's just super depressed. Damn. Um, which is rough. <laughs> that would be hard to... I mean, that, that would be really hard to watch. Especially if you had a moral opposition to how people were being treated. Yeah, time. and he's just unable to do anything about it. Yeah. Uh, um, <clears throat> so he, uh, he was then moved to a fort in California. And was so depressed and bored and lonely that he started to drink very heavily. Oh, God. In fact, his drinking got so bad that his superior officer confronted him and told him that if he didn't stop getting drunk, he would be forced to resign. God damn. So, uh, Grant did get better for a little while, but then eventually drifted back into the bottle. And because of this, Grant resigned from the military on July 31st, uh, 1854. Mm. Uh, and then he moved back to St. Louis, where he finally re he was finally reunited with his wife and family, but things were still not great. Damn. Grant was completely broke. He was depressed about the state of the, the nation. All of his business ventures had totally failed, and he had no idea what the future would hold for him. So basically us again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's mm. where uh, I'll leave this sad sack of shit until he returned to his adult life. <laughs> Damn, I didn't know this about Grant. No, he had to resign from the military because of That's his, crazy. Uh, his drinking. Yeah, it's pretty sad stuff. Yeah, but hey, I mean, nation was in peril and he couldn't do anything about it. And he was watching moral outrages. Um, yeah. And that sort of thing happen every day. And it's like, you get hooked on that bottle, man. Yeah, for sure. Loneliness will do that to you, man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. yeah. So, <clears throat> do you want to take a break, or should we move on? Let's take a quick break. Okay. And then we shall return. And uh, you, I want to hear. Uh, I want to hear some about this flyboy. All right. All right. We'll probably get a good ways through him, and then I'll, we'll have to pause. And we are back to We Talk About Dead People, and when we left off, we were talking about Ulysses S. Grant's sad life, and how he became a heavy drinker, and it is raining in Chicago, and here... I, what? I am in a rainstorm. Yeah, so if you hear that... But that won't stop us from bringing the weather to you. No. 24-7. Here at <laughs> News Land. <laughs> yeah, it is raining this year of our Lord, 2018. Uh, the whole year. Was known as True. the wet year. <laughs> forty days and forty nights. Uh, portly trays and portly whites. mites, whites. Good, good. All right, <laughs> all right. So, <clears throat> yep. <laughs> so Charles Lindbergh's adult life. Yeah, let's talk about Charles Lindbergh's adult life, shall we? Please. All right. So, in nineteen ninety, well, when we left him. Uh, he yeah. was barnstorming around and whatnot, right? Right, he was still with the Air Force. Yeah, and he was also in the Air Force and whatnot, but he wasn't doing anything because they weren't at war. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so this is where things start to get kind of interesting. So, <clears throat> in 1919, a hotel owner named Raymond Ortig, Ortig, I don't know, uh, announced a prize of $25,000, which is like half a million dollars in today's money, <laughs> uh, awarded to the first pilot to fly from New York to Paris nonstop. Besides this sounding like something out of a 1960s Disney movie, it attracted enough attention to get Lindbergh interested. Awesome. Yeah, but it wasn't just Lindbergh who wanted to win this incredible amount of cash. Sure. (laughs) Right, because there were many other pilots who wanted to give this flight a go. Yeah. Including a man named René Funk, uh, who Mm. had been a fighter ace in World War I. Ooh. Uh, his plane, the S-35, was rushed through production, even though the flight was scheduled seven years after the prize was announced. So, like... Ortig announces this prize and, like, nobody tries it for, like, seven years. Wow. Because the tech just isn't there yet, apparently. Sure. Wow, Um, that's awesome that it lasted that long. (laughs) Yeah, and then he kept the money up, right? So, Mm -hmm. anyway, so due to this rush, uh, Funk's plane had some problems. Mm. Uh, Number one problem was that it was pretty damn big for a plane of this era. Right, and they're all made of canvas and shit like that, so... Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it was so big, actually, that Funk demanded a sofa and a refrigerator... <laughs> what? <laughs> ...be set up in the back, so that his co-pilot, his radio operator, and his onboard mechanic could refresh themselves mid-flight. <laughs> That's you amazing. might be able to guess where this is going. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so, this plane's brought to Roosevelt Field, uh, which used to be at Long Island, uh, mm-hmm. for the first attempted flight across... The Atlantic. So the plane revs up the engine, rolls down the runway, lifts off, and promptly dives directly back down and explodes. And amazingly, both Funk and his co-pilot escaped death, but the mechanic and radio operator did not. Which is weird, because... I wonder if he had a regret after that. So I'm sure he did. His head, or his but think head, about hands. that. Think about yeah. that. The pilot and the co-pilot survived, and they're at the, I'm they're assuming, the, the front of the yeah. plane. Yeah. yeah. So maybe the refrigerator <laughs> broke loose. <laughs> I don't know. It was an explosion, so we're not sure. Yeah, they should have climbed it in the refrigerator like Indiana Jones. Oh, that would have been perfectly safe. Mm-hmm. So then Charles Lindbergh stepped in and said, Guys, 
I got this. And he sets off for St. Louis to oversee the construction of his own plane, the Spirit of St. Louis. Awesome. The plane that eventually, as we all know, be the first to cross the Atlantic Ocean nonstop. All right. But you want to know something that's going to blow your mind? Yeah. <laughs> it actually wasn't the first plane to fly across the Atlantic Ocean. Really? Wait. Yeah. Hmm. It wasn't the first transatlantic flight. So what was? Uh, in <laughs> the first plane actually to cross the Atlantic did so in 1919. Wow. The same year that Raymond Ortiz announced his prize. <laughs> but the reason it wasn't picked was because they didn't fly from New York to Paris. So it was a much shorter flight, but All they right. still technically crossed the Atlantic. But what was this plane that did it? Mm, it was a Vickers Vimy. <laughs> what the fuck? What yeah. is that? <laughs> Which was a bomber used in World War One. Okay. And it looks just as rickety as you'd imagine. <laughs> I mean, this be... is... What? Go ahead. That would be horrifying to be in that <laughs> yeah. thing over well, the Atlantic. <laughs> just wait. Oh, no. Okay. Just wait. Anyway, so this is like the most World War One looking plane I've ever seen. Uh -huh. Like, words cannot describe it. It's obviously open cockpit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the warplane version has a forward gun where some poor <laughs> bastard sits freezing his ass off, staring directly into the beyond. <laughs> it was made from plywood. <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing that this thing could even get off the ground, right? Wow, yeah. But it did, frequently, during the war. And once again, when it was modified to cross the Atlantic. <laughs> this, this sounds like what your drunk neighbors have in their garage. Right, you see exactly. every once in a while when they have the door open, and you're like, what is that? <laughs> and it never gets finished. There's just yeah. a sheet pulled over it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, these two pilots, John Alcock and Arthur Brown, go to Newfoundland, mm -hmm. climb into this crazy thing, and take off in the June of 1919. Wow. But the flight is fraught with peril. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, so first of all, they barely got off the ground. The plane was carrying so much extra fuel that it nearly crashed into some trees near the runway, which, like, don't have trees near your runway, maybe. Yeah, that's true, too. And then, like, six hours in, the wind power generator on it broke completely, okay. which meant they no longer had their intercom, oh, their radio, oh. or their heated suits. Oh, jeez. So they're freezing their asses off, yeah. can't talk to each other, and can't talk to anyone on the ground. Holy cow, they can't talk to each other? They can't talk to each other. Oh and right God. after that, an exhaust pipe explodes. Oh, no. <laughs> and right after they encounter some major fog, which prevented them from using their sextants to navigate. <laughs> <laughs> so the fog also confused Alcock so much that he lost control of the plane twice and nearly crashed into the sea both times. <laughs> this needs to be a, a movie. It ought to be. A comedy. So they're in this tragedy. fog. They're in this fog for like seven hours before oh it finally gosh. breaks. You know, just flying completely blind. Yeah. At which point Brown uses his sextant and finds out they are miraculously on course. <laughs> After, like, wow. almost crashing into the ocean a couple of times. That is luck. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So three hours later, they hit a snowstorm. <laughs> of course. And all their shit gets iced up. Uh -huh. um, their instruments weren't working. The wings were getting fucked with. The engines were freezing. Oh, no. Brown had to climb out onto the wings and clear some of that shit out of there. Wow. Like, it's just crazy. Holy cow. 
Wow. And then five hours later, they crash land in a bog somewhere in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> so did, Charles Lindbergh is, I mean, wait, did they your live? reaction. Your reaction. Um, well, they made it. I, yeah, they lived. They both lived. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to decide between worldwide heroes or just some drunk rednecks. <laughs> <laughs> they got a statue, you know, made for them. Well, good. No, they deserve that. That's in the place where they crash landed. Actually, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What a what a trip. But anyway, so like that's a crazy story. But what I'm I'm getting at is Charles Lindbergh was not about to make the first transatlantic flight. Sure. Um, not a, not even close. But he is about to fly double the distance since he's flying from New York to Paris. Right. And not Newfoundland to a bog in Ireland. <laughs> Isn't that just all of Ireland, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> Do you hate Ireland now too? Is it going to go with there? With no, New I mean <laughs> bogs are fine. <laughs> um, you you have a bog body and you know it. So. <laughs> But anyway, so Lindbergh's going to fly this distance, but the problem is he's nobody, mm -hmm. um, which means that funding is going to be hard to come by. In fact, when Lindbergh finally does get a group of investors together, they have a really hard time finding a company to design the plane, hmm. because none of them want Charles Lindbergh to be the pilot. Well, he's basically just a glorified mailman. <laughs> right, he's a barnstormer, yeah. you know? Like, he may, any, I mean, he's a combat you know, he's combat trained and whatnot for the air and whatnot, but so there's that. But what does that even mean after World War One? Like, right, exactly. No one knows much about aviation. Right. So uh, anyway, these investors are like, we're gonna find you a company that's going to let you fly the plane. So they do, and it's this. It's called the Ryan Aircraft Company, and it's a tiny, tiny company in San Diego. Hmm. Okay. So they start putting together the Ryan NYP, so New York, Paris, whatever. Um, it's a single seat, single engine plane, uh, and single wing, which is, ooh, you know, not a biplane or whatever. Right. And they built this fucker in two months. Oh, jeez. So, and it's a funny looking plane because uh -huh. you can't see out the front. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, you can't see out the front. Okay. Um, this is because Lindbergh requested that the main fuel tanks be put right in front of the pilot. Why? Why? Because Lindbergh didn't need to see where he was going to fly to Paris, uh, but also because the tanks would provide some crush resistance in case of a crash. Oh, no. I know. Okay. So but what about landing? Like, yeah. you know, wouldn't he be at risk hitting trees or tall things like that when coming in for a landing? Yeah. Well, they came up with a workaround for that. Oh, no. They put a periscope in the plane. <laughs> And uh, so most of Lindbergh's instruments were mounted in the panel in front of him. Uh, but the main compass, the main, the uh -huh. thing you're using all the time, yeah. was too big to fit. So so they put it behind him. And when he wanted to look at the compass behind him, he would unfold a makeup kit mirror stuck to the ceiling of the plane by a piece of fucking chewing gum. And have a look. <laughs> Can you believe that? That is the dinkiest piece of garbage <laughs> I've ever heard. I know. Uh, so the other thing is that this plane had a tendency to randomly steer itself in di di different directions all of a sudden. But Lindbergh liked this because he thought it would help keep him awake during his 40-hour flight. Wow. Uh, which he actually said it did later on in his autobiography. Jeez. Okay. Um, but... Anyway, so Lindbergh insisted that the plane not have a radio, and that every ounce that could be shaved off the plane's weight be shaved off. Okay. Uh, this meant he didn't take a sextant or a parachute. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you came in that thing? 
Without yeah. a parachute, you're braver than I thought. No shit. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, on the original propeller spinner, the designers had painted an Indian swastika. Oh. Um, which is just like a Nazi swastika, but backwards. Okay. And this wasn't a weird thing back then. It of still course. meant good luck and yeah. not, you know, horrible shit. <laughs> right. um, but the swastika prop didn't actually go onto the flight because it was found to be cracked just before Lindbergh left New York uh, and had to be replaced. Okay, well, that's probably good. <laughs> probably, probably. Lindbergh's good. a Nazi. Uh, we'll get there. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Oh, are you serious? <laughs> I'm rooting I'm for serious. this guy. I'm serious. I'm serious. <laughs> oh, right. So anyway, so this thing gets done quickly, and Lindbergh just goes, thanks, gets into the plane and flies to New York. <laughs> and then on May 20th, 1927, Charles Lindbergh climbs back into his plane and takes off from a rainy runway, clearing telephone lines by around 25 feet and disappearing into the distance. Oh my god. This, yep. <laughs> this yeah. does not bode well. <laughs> no, but he just kind of does it. Oh. Yeah, I, like, he dealt with problems that the other guys had, like yeah. icing and fog and whatever. The flight took 33 and a half hours, but he did it, and um, there's so, basically nothing else to it. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but when he, get, when he gets there, there's 150,000 Parisians waiting for him on the <laughs> wow. airfield. yeah. And they drag him out of the cockpit and lift him over their heads, and he's basically crowd surfing for about a half an hour. <laughs> And then some people were, like, tearing up the plane to get souvenirs and shit. Oh, um, gosh, come on. So, anyway, he's, like, an instant celebrity. Of course. <laughs> which is kind of weird. So, uh, and his mother was even being harangued by mobs of fans outside of her house. Oh. Um, he's getting job offers from universities and engineering companies all over the planet. Uh-huh. And remember, he was a barnstormer before this and yeah. makes this one flight and, you know, that's it. <laughs> uh, he met with the president of France, uh, Gaston Dumel, or whatever. <laughs> and, I don't know. <laughs> and he was escorted by warships and warplanes oh. to meet President Calvin Coolidge. Whoa. Uh, where he was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross. Yeah, yes, yeah, so he should be. <laughs> yeah, and then he goes to New York City and met the mayor and saw about five million people coming out in droves just to get a look at him. You know what this reminds me of is uh, Edmund <laughs> Hillary and uh, climbing Mount... Ma- Ma- Mount Olympus. I didn't sleep last night. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, just the crowd mentality of conquering na- uh, nature, just amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, and the, it, it goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, they threw a banquet for him, uh, attended by 3,700 people, where he was finally awarded the check for the Ortig Prize. Wow. And in, the, in December of 1927, he was awarded the Medal of Honor. Oh, oh. Yeah, which I was like, what? And then I remembered he was in the army, so there's that. Oh, okay. Um, well, he no. was Time Magazine's Man of the Year, but that means fuck all, because Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin both made that cut, and Stalin made it twice. Are you serious? I'm fucking serious. Stalin oh, was the Times, Time Magazine's Man of the Year twice. Wow. And Adolf um, Hitler was too? <laughs> yeah, and Hitler was too. Jeez, okay. So, well, the people on the Time cover, anything. it doesn't actually matter. <laughs> nope. <laughs> they lost all so, credibility. Uh, yeah, they lost it all, but people forget. So anyway, uh, Lindbergh published an autobiography two months after the flight. It mm-hmm. was a smash hit. Um, and he started flying all over the United States just to see people. In, in the spirit of St. Louis, by the way. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and he wrote about uh, 1,300 miles worth of parades, which was seen by a quarter of the nation. Holy shit. Yeah, so one year, almost to the day after his flight, Lindbergh took the spirit of St. Louis to the Smithsonian, parked it, and said, It's all yours, boys! And then ascended into the heavens. (laughs) 
I'm not surprised. So, and then he comes back from heaven and he gets married to Anne Morrow Lindbergh, oh, mm-hmm. uh, who he met on a tour in Mexico in 1929. And he teaches her how to fly and she becomes his co-pilot from then on. Wow. Yeah. And it sounds like a beautiful story. Like Charles Lindbergh was a decent guy who did everything right all the time. Um, but as we've already established, history uh, is complicated and there's a lot more to his story. And there's also a lot more to Charles Lindbergh. Okay. Well. For example, in 1932, someone kidnapped his fucking baby. Holy shit. Yeah, that's right. So Lindbergh's 20-month-old son, nicknamed Egg, was stolen right out of his crib. Jeez. So when Charles discovers this, he grabs a gun and starts searching the house and grounds with his butler. I, I would have and done the same. Exactly. You can't so, not, oh, jeez. Wow. No, no. So they discover... Believe me, this gets really fucking crazy. Oh, okay. Um, they discovered some put some footprints, some footprints, uh, as well as a makeshift ladder that the kidnapper had built to climb up to Egg's window and steal the poor fucker. Oh, God. Um, they also found a ransom note demanding fifty thousand dollars, signed with a weird symbol. So this was clearly um, because he was famous and now had money. Exactly. Oh God. Yeah. Okay. At least that's what it. That's what it looked like. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, because Lindbergh was a celebrity, word got out fast, and so did uh, the mobs of people, <laughs> wanting yeah. to see just what the fuck was going on. Huh. Um, so hundreds of people came to Lindbergh's estate just to invade the crime scene, basically. And they smashed up whatever evidence was left by the kidnapper. Wait, so these crowds were trying on to help? the crime scene. But they were... Oh, okay, well, that's great. Yeah. Just fucking with shit. Yeah. You know? And leaving footprints everywhere. There, were no, there was no crime scene, do not cross bullshit. And even if there was... If there, was, which there might have been, now that I think about it, mm-hmm. they just bust right through it and fucked up the whole investigation. Good. <laughs> so anyway, other people that showed up were a lot of military men, lawyers, and intelligence operatives who wanted to offer their services to Lindbergh uh, to hunt down the kidnapper. Mm-hmm. And they concluded very quickly that the work this was the work of some kind of organized crime family. Oh, jeez. So they worked uh, ahead and got a couple of mobsters to flip and communicate with whatever crime families they were a part of. Wow. Uh, Al Capone offered to get the kid back if only Lindbergh would get him released from prison. This, of course, did not happen. Wow. (laughs) And then Herbert Hoover heard about all this shit and mobilized what uh, investigative forces he had uh, at a federal level Uh to get to work hunting down Junior. Wow. So five days after the kidnapping, Lindbergh received another letter raising the ransom to $70,000. Jeez. Um, and then a guy named John Condon, uh, not condom, Condon, no. uh, yeah, he yeah. offers $1,000 to the kidnapper if he would turn Junior over to a Catholic priest. Okay. And they actually contacted him. Really? He got a letter from the kidnappers, and they said they wanted him to be the intermediary between him and Lindbergh, or them and Lindbergh. Well, see, if I was the kidnappers, and I saw the entire nation and the feds and the president react so quickly i i mm-hmm. might just take the the thousand dollars and run yeah 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 um but you know they instead are like hey we want you to be the intermediary sure which is important hang on to that okay so this guy john john condon mm-hmm. is agrees to do this uh and he gets a meeting with the kidnappers kidnappers in a cemetery in the bronx oh that's um, horrifying at night uh-huh. uh so condon said afterward that the man sounded like a foreigner and that he learned that the kidnappers were composed of three three men and two women. And he also wow. learned that Junior was imprisoned on a boat somewhere. Um, but Condon is skeptical. How does he know that this is the real kidnapper? Yeah. Right? He, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. So yeah. he asked the kidnapper to send him the child's jammies to prove that he actually has the kid. Okay. And the guy responds by asking if he would be executed if the baby were actually dead. Mm-hmm. To which Condon says, hold the fuck up! Yeah. <laughs> like... like 
is the kid dead? Oh, God. And the kidnapper claims that he was only asking for a friend or whatever, and so he assures that Con- Condon that the baby is still alive. Okay, good. This is so crazy. Then, I know, it's crazy. So, next thing is, Condon gets the jammies in the mail. Oh, okay. And subsequently arranges another meet to pay the ransom. Hmm. Uh, which they do in exchange for a note telling Condon that Junior is in the care of some random women. Which mm. helps exactly not at all. Right, yeah. There are um, a lot of women it, in America. <laughs> yeah, so l- they've paid the ransom now. Yeah. And he's like, there was some me- there was some women somewhere. And that's what he gets. Oh, that's shitty. That's what Condon gets. And then, like, it, it's just, I mean, this is what happens. Uh, a month later, Trucker pulls over to the side of the road to take a piss and discovers a child's dead body. Oh jeez! And the body's in hor- and this is this is what I would say a level four. Yeah. Trigger warning. Uh, the body's just in terrible shape. Uh, it had been chewed on by animals and had been rotting for a while. It was you know, and the kid was killed by a blow to the head. Oh my god! And the body was identified as Charles Lindbergh's twenty-month-old son. Jesus Christ! So, that came out of yeah. nowhere. I know. So the feds got really pissed, and they Good. started to suspect <laughs> someone close to Lindbergh perpetrated the crime. Uh, so they point their investigation at this woman named Violet Sharp and interrogate her so hard she ends up committing suicide due to the stress. Jeez! Oh, wow, I okay. I hope yeah. she was the lady. And I just Meanwhile, saw... yeah, I mean... Anyway, wow. so it gets it keeps going. Meanwhile, there's this dude named John Condon, right? You remember him? And yep. he's being investigated as well. Mm. And he's just getting weird. Hmm. Um, he stops okay. a bus because he says he suspected somebody on board was a suspect in the case. And then he chased him through the streets, apparently, and lost him. Hmm. And then he, I shit you not, he appears in a fucking vaudeville act based on the kidnapping. What the As hell? himself. Yeah. You can't, you can't do that? <laughs> nope, you don't do that. No! Especially, and the kid was found dead. Yeah, that's... What the hell? Jeez, okay, well... So, then some guy tries to put about three grand in the bank somewhere in Manhattan, Mm -hmm. and officials realize that it's the ransom money. Mm -hmm. And they track the guy down, his name is Richard Hauptmann. Uh, He lived in the Bronx and is a German immigrant, so it matches some some description, right? Yeah. And then they found the ransom money in his garage. Hmm. So Hauptmann is arrested and beaten, but he blames a friend of uh, of, of his named Isidore Fish, who was conveniently dead... Uh Uh-huh. And so the trial goes forward, Hauptman is convicted and sentenced to death. What the hell is going um, on here? <laughs> I know. but So there's a million conspiracy theories about this. Yeah. Uh, one is that Lindbergh accidentally killed his son in a prank gone wrong. Uh-huh. Um, where he was, like, planning to kidnap his own child um, by way of ladder, and then he accidentally dropped him out the window and then just fucking blamed Hauptman. Sure. And set the whole thing up. Another is that Lindbergh arranged for the family to be kidnapped because he was physically disabled and they thought he'd have a better life in Germany. Hmm. And that one is, you know, that one, well, it will it holds a little more water than you might think, because really? uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. Anyway, whatever the case, it's really, really messy. And now Lindbergh is not just famous, he's infamous. Yes. He's no longer the golden hero who crossed the Atlantic in a single-engine plane. He was now sullied with crime and mm. a shit ton of unwanted publicity. Right. So he gets his family together and leaves New York and goes to South Wales and moves to a tiny island off the coast of France. Wow. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's... any thoughts, or shall I just keep going? Uh, it's just depressing, but I, I want to say expected and also unexpected. Uh, the story itself, the details, is unexpected, but there's always shit with <laughs> with celebrities. Uh huh. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, and we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, 
They travel around Europe uh, for a couple of years, and Mm -hmm. then they eventually end up back in New York in 1939. Um, Well, and the reason they went back was because 1939. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) You know what was happening? Yes, the uh, Marshmallow Men had taken over all of Pennsylvania. Yeah, so things are getting start starting to get weird in Germany. Basically, not a good pl- um, not a good time to live in France either. <laughs> uh, no, and he's also traveling to and from Germany for several years actually, uh-huh. uh, because he was checking out their planes. Sure, um, he was evaluating them and giving them tips on how to make their planes better. Um, but there was one plane that he thought was basically perfect, and that was the Messerschmitt Bf one hundred and nine, huh. which was a German fighter plane. Neat. And most people thought he was exaggerating, which is interesting. Um, but this guy knows planes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but still, mm-hmm. he was like, it wasn't like even objective praise. It was like, this is the best fucking plane ever built. Like, wow. Um, and it doesn't help that he's going to dinners with people like Hermann Goering. Um, oh, wow, Germany, okay. Which is Germany's chief plane guy. <laughs> and it doesn't help that he was given the Commander Cross of the Order of the German Eagle, oh, which shit. he accepted uh, just a few weeks uh, before Kristallnacht. Oh, God. So people wanted to give the medal back, but yeah. he doesn't. Okay. He thinks it would be insulting. So he just keeps the damn thing given to him on behalf of none other than Adolf Hitler. <laughs> and uh, I'm wow. not sure how to get into this next thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say this is a three out of five. Okay. Um, but it's, uh, yeah. So <clears throat> Lindbergh was infected with a little bit of the old social Darwinism. Yeah. He believed in eugenics and often visited Nazi Germany in the 30s, like we said earlier. Um, he almost bought a house in Wannsee in 1938, hmm. but decided against it because the house had previously been owned by Jews. Oh, there it is. There it is. So Albert Speer, a, uh, the Nazi architect, like uh-huh. the main architect or whatever, and yeah, big yeah. guy, we'll cover him probably. Oh, yeah. uh, he was like, I'll build you a house, man. And then Lindbergh decided to not do that and... You know, because World War Two was beginning. Oh, gosh. Um, and right. interesting to know, and this is gonna this is not gonna surprise you, but Lindbergh was he really good friends with Henry Ford. <laughs> <laughs> and Ford is quoted as saying, quote, when Charles comes out here, we only talk about the Jews. Wow. But most people <laughs> didn't see Lindbergh as being an actual Nazi sympathizer, it seems. Uh, good? I mean, maybe. I mean, he's portrayed by a lot of historians as being some kind of ignorant bigot who just got a louder voice because he was famous. Okay, well, that's fair. Um, But he's a celebrity, so what he says matters, Mm -hmm. right? All right. Mm -hmm. He's also very non-interventionist, meaning he didn't want the U.S. to go to war with Germany. Sure. And Franklin Roosevelt hated him for this, uh, (laughs) saying that he was aligned with the Hitler appeasers who allowed that shit to happen. Mm. And then Lindbergh just starts blaming three groups of people for pushing the country to war with Germany. Okay. He says the British, the Roosevelt administration, and the Jews. Right? Of course. <laughs> and here's a quote. Here's oh, a quote. No. Oh, and I, I hate saying this is this is Charles Lindbergh's words, not mm-hmm. mine. He says, I am not attacking either the Jewish or the British people, both races I admire. But I am saying that the leaders of both the British and the Jewish races, for reasons which are understandable from their viewpoint, as they are inadvisable from ours, for reasons which are not American, wish to involve us in the war. We cannot blame them for looking out for what they believe to be their own interests, but we must also look out for ours. We cannot allow the natural passions and prejudices of other people to lead their country to destruction. 
Mm-hmm. He was also there's also a photo circulating about this time of him performing the Bellamy salute, uh-huh. which is literally the Nazi salute but toward the American flag. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then Roosevelt then expressed his feelings on the matter, saying, If I should die tomorrow, I want you to know this. I am absolutely convinced Lindbergh is a Nazi. Well, (laughs) it certainly sounds that Lindbergh is uh, along those lines. But I think you're right just saying that he was kind of just swept up in the motions and... I'm a celebrity, so my opinion matters. Yeah. 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 And he ended up on the wrong side of it. Yeah. Yeah. But when Jap- the Japanese uh, bombed Pearl Harbor, Lindbergh mm-hmm. tried to get into the Air Force again because, mm. you know, it, it wasn't war with Germany. It was ger- war with Japan. Sure. Um, he was denied entry due to a direct order from the White House banning him from doing so. Holy shit, they're not messing around. <laughs> no, they're not fucking messing around. Uh, however, he did join up with some plane manufacturers to work on the perfect design of the B-24, working on to perfect the design of the B-24 Liberator. Wow. Yeah, and later he actually did get to fly some combat missions, but not in the European theater. No, 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 no. (laughs) No, no, no. You don't get to fly over there. Uh, He fought in the Pacific (laughs) and actually ended up flying 50 combat missions as a civilian. Wow, okay, well, (laughs) there's that. Yeah, so and then post-war, I mean, I'm skipping a lot here, but post-war, Lindbergh went on a tour of some Nazi concentration camps. And wrote later that he was really pissed off about what happened there. Well, at least there's a little bit of redemption. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. But that's where we're going to leave him for now. And uh, when we come back, we'll be talking about his end and death. And believe me, it's it's pretty interesting. Okay. But I think we're going to have to call it a day for now. Um, yeah. I've got to go to work. And uh, to, we'll be back to the listeners. This won't be a day, but to us, it will be an eternity. And welcome back to We Talk About Dead People. Uh, It is the morning. It may have felt like an instant for you, but it has been an entire day for us. And uh, I'm sad to say James did not sleep last night, uh, hardly at all, and I slept well, and that is why I sound so tired. (laughs) Uh, James, would you... What? Yes. Do you yes. remember the Russian sleep experiment, that creepy pasta? Yeah. That's what it's beginning to feel like at this point. Well, that's what it is. Because you ever see the photo attached to it? No. No. Uh, I'm sending it to right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just go to images. It's gonna be the number one image, and probably all of them. Oh God. Oh yeah, I've when seen you, that before. <laughs> Jesus. When you text Christ. me. When you text me at 1 in the morning and say, hey, I can't get to sleep, and then again at 6 and say, hey, we might be able to record, that's what I imagine you look like. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> that's just what I'd normally look like. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> we're in, um, I would say, less than ideal form right now. Bad, but, uh, bad case of the morning voice. Just like the mailman. Weather cannot stop us, and That's right. lack of sleep cannot stop us, and we will deliver to you, male man. M- what? <laughs> deliver to you, male man. <laughs> oh, All right. Uh, James, it's your turn to take it away because we were talking about Lindbergh and that awful kidnapping. Oh, oh, right. Uh, oh, and geez, then how Lindbergh basically became uh, not 
not Nazi, 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 Nazi. I don't remember. Which. <clears throat> he was uh, probably a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> At least so according just... to, was it, uh, Roosevelt? I can't remember. Okay, well. Yeah. But, uh, I'm gonna let you get started, <laughs> but first, I need to take one giant pull off of this giant-ass mod. Mmm. <laughs> That's good shit. You can buy these mods with our logo on them for $59.99 apiece. That's a joke. Our, our douchebaggery levels just reached records record high too uh, i don't know if you're watching the hey once you reach max level you stop leveling <laughs> we're already gigantic douchebags and That's true. adding That's... vaping to that is not going to change that at all yeah <clears throat> so <clears throat> here <clears throat> oh god pardon me i've got three different drinks right now i've got gatorade mixed with water i've got coffee and i've got sparkling water Lemon flavored. That sounds like a catastrophe for your it's stomach. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but anyway, I think we should just roll into Ulysses S. Grant's adult life if you're ready. Uh, I think so. All right. So. All right. <clears throat> take it away, James. Good. When we last left Grant. <laughs> Uh, remember, he was a sad sack of shit when we last left him. Uh, right, he was depressed as fuck and yeah, alcoholic had, as hell. And <laughs> he had to resign from the military because of his drinking <clears throat> problems. Yeah. So now Grant is with his family in St. Louis, which is good. But what's bad is that he's 32 years old, dirt poor, no job, and no future. <laughs> and every time I hear that kind of thing in the story of a great man, yeah, I go, hey, I can do this. Because <laughs> he went on to become something great, didn't he? Like, yes. you know, president or something? <laughs> something like that. <clears throat> but he's, he's, he's you know, fooling around in St. Louis, and he's at least with his family. I mean, it could be worse, right? Yeah, it could be worse. Well, it gets worse. Um, oh, God. We'll get to that at the end of this page. My All mental right. page. Anyway. Your mental page. <laughs> so, uh... Um, Grant's father, fearing for his son, offers him a place in Galena, Illinois. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell no. Oh, no. <laughs> it's getting close to Chicago again, remember? Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, did you see the news on Chicago or whatever? No, what happened? I think Chance the Rapper was calling for Rahm Emanuel to quit his job. Really? I don't remember why. Possibly uh, something to do with, with police shooters. <laughs> Because he's the worst? Yeah. Because, <clears throat> like, name one thing Rahm Emanuel has done. Uh, been our <laughs> king and savior for 10,000 millennia. <laughs> uh, I remember when he took when he took power. Jesus, I don't mean it like that. I remember when he, he got the office and I was like, alright, what's he gonna do? And, like, I don't remember anything happening. No. Since then. I'm not even... That's not even a criticism. That's just... I don't remember anything. <laughs> It's more of a and criticism of you. <laughs> well, yeah, but meanwhile, the violence is skyrocketing and all that shit, and so maybe that's what Chance is after. I believe it was p police shootings, because the gun violence there is insane. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. But I keep, like, I keep meeting people here in Austin from Chicago who <clears throat> lived on the south side. They lost family members to oh, gun violence. I, yeah, isn't that crazy? Isn't it, like, technically a war zone under UN uh, regulations or something like that? 
I don't know, but I like I wouldn't be surprised. But it's, it was, it's crazy been like that. Yeah, it's been so weird meeting other people who left Chicago for different reasons, and that reason was like they lost two of their cousins to gun violence. Mm. It's ridiculous. Wow. So yeah, I mean, if Chance the Rapper is calling for Rom to go and the gun violence just won't slow down up there, I'm like, maybe he's right, but I don't know. Yep. I don't know. I'm not trying to get political. I'm just curious or wondering. I don't know. Yeah. Well, saying no. It's to also gun the violence. morning. I have less restraint. <laughs> <laughs> they finally let you out of your chains, huh? Yeah, they all let me out of my chains. Mm -hmm. You are whips and chains. Yeah, shit. Okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so. Okay, we got halfway through a paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Sorry. So they're in Galena. Well, no, right. they don't go to Galena. They don't go to Galena, even though there's a free job there. Yeah, so Grant's father um, is a successful tanner, and he says, Look, Grant, you can come up and tan with me, um, but you have to leave your family behind in Missouri. Well, okay. And I don't, I don't think that was because he hated his grandchildren. <laughs> I think that was more just... Uh, I, I don't know what that was, actually. <laughs> um, well... Well, uh, we'll get Do back you to hear that. the massive garbage truck outside my house? I thought that was just your stomach. Nope, that's the garbage truck. And I'm sitting here thinking, I forgot to take out the garbage. Oh. <laughs> and it's too late now. <laughs> uh, well, so that's a bad thing. Uh. Whatever. Anyway, <clears throat> carry on. <laughs> okay, well, so... So Grant does not go to Galena yet. Okay. Uh, he will later, though, because I'm getting ahead of myself. Does it have anything to do with slaves? Uh, it very well could be. Um, I got it. Because they didn't go to the wedding? Yeah, but they did love Grant's wife and uh, their grandchildren at this point. So I think it was more just, uh, it's easier to work when you're not with your family? I, I don't know. I, I really true. don't know. I didn't say, so... <laughs> All right, well, we will not ask you. <laughs> okay, thank you. All right. <clears throat> so they didn't go to Galena. Okay. Uh, anyway, so Grant and his family moved in with his wife's family and helped with the family farm. But this okay. was problematic because they owned slaves. Right, and, and Grant doesn't like slaves. No, but to work on the farm, now he's forced to use the slaves to farm. Oh. Uh, which is not great. And the farm was also not very successful <clears throat> at all. So Grant also had to scrounge for firewood and sell it on the street corners of St. Louis, like, every night. Um, he was scrounging for firewood to sell in the streets? Yeah, yeah. Damn, this guy sunk low. Uh-huh. And uh, he kind of became just this regular sight on the streets of St. Louis, wearing his old battered army jacket, hair and beard totally unkept, and trying to sell wood to passerbys. I try to sell wood to passerbys. Oh my god. <laughs> That was too easy. Low hanging fruit. Uh, <laughs> you, I really you made you me up. do it. I can't. I can't be mad at you for that. I was just. You would have done the same pitch. You would have done the same. Yep. <laughs> anyway, so things only get worse for Grant. Um, yeah. He's making only about fifty dollars a month, which is about thirteen hundred dollars in today's cash, uh, which is not much. <laughs> and he's got an entire family to take care of. Um, Right. He was so poor during one Christmas season that he had to pawn off his watch in order to buy a handful of presents for his wife and kids. Damn. Which is just 
that's such a sad scene. That's sad, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and he has a couple kids now, by the way, but I did not include their names. Uh, okay. Then Grant gets malaria and almost dies. Uh, <laughs> God and he's better damn it! For a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. But do you want to know how great a guy Grant is? Do you? Uh, yes. Okay, so. In 1858, Grant's father-in-law gave Grant a present. It was a slave. <coughs> Jesus, yeah. God. Uh, Again? Yeah, well, Grant doesn't own the slaves at this point, so he's... Oh, right, right. While, right. He, while he tells the slaves what to do, he doesn't own any at this point. Mm -hmm. But now he has one, and it's this 35-year-old black man named William Jones. And Jones was also worth about $1,500, which, remember, is more than Grant makes a month. It's just weird to say a person is worth $1,500. It's uh, disgusting, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, Grant w desperately needs money uh, for his family's survival. Nevertheless, Grant was so disgusted that he was now a slave owner, and he granted William his freedom almost immediately. Wow, instead, instead of, selling, of selling, him. selling him. Yeah. Yeah. And this That's guy amazing. was strapped for cash, but he did the right thing, and... Yeah, it's pretty admirable. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ulysses S. Grant, a principled man, like we've said earlier. Mm -hmm. And we'll get more into that later. Uh, That's kind of cool to run into, really, after doing all of these tyrants who have no principles. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it really see, is. Yeah. To see someone take a moral stand at this level, mm -hmm. you know. So yeah. good for Grant. So next, out of desperation, Grant joined up with his wife's cousin to sell real estate, and this, of course, completely failed! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> then he applied to be a country engineer, but was refused the job because people thought Grant supported slavery like his father-in-law did, and they were all really? Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, and Grant was like, no, I, I, I don't, but it was too late. Uh, so then came the 1856 presidential election, and Grant voted for a Democrat? What the hell? Yeah, so, uh, yeah. keep in mind that the Democratic Party at this time was the party that heavily supported slavery. Right. Nevertheless, although Grant was completely opposed to slavery, like we've seen, he feared that if the Republicans won, the South might secede and the United States might split in two. So he saw the writing on the wall. Yeah, and this is in 1856. Uh, he's Damn. five years ahead of his time. Damn. So while he's poor and everything, he's still kind of on top of <laughs> top of I don't the know. nation's doings. <clears throat> I I admire these decisions. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. So far, yeah. Um, he's he's kind of doing the best he can. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Here's something you won't admire, though. Uh, oh, in shit. 1860, Grant and his family moved to Illinois. Oh my god. Yeah. What a Ugh. scumbag. Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so they're in Illinois, and they join up with Grant's father in Galena. And mm -hmm. here he does a little bit better and manages to pay off the debt he had acquired while in Missouri. Oh yeah, he was also in massive debt. <laughs> of course he was. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, He's gotta pay uh, those student loans. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh my god. All so right. Grant soon becomes a well-respected and loved citizen of Illinois, and in the election of 1860, Grant couldn't vote because he wasn't yet a citizen of Illinois, but he favored Democrat Stephen A. Douglas over this other bozo from Illinois, a Republican by the name of Abraham Lincoln. Oh, Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Grant was like, nah, I'm gonna vote for Stephen Douglas. What a nobody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in 1860? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. So, then this little date of April 12th, 1861 comes around, and there's this possum named Heinrich who befriends a whole bunch of... Wait, wait, uh, what? 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 Holy shit, Eric! Do 
you know what time it is? No. It's time for the American Civil War! I've never heard of the American Civil War. I've only heard of the War of Northern Aggression. <laughs> right, yes. Because I'm in Texas. <laughs> yep. I, I want to say right. its official title is actually the War Between the States. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, it, the Civil War is just its popular name, mm -hmm. but officially it's the War Between the States, I think. <laughs> I think you screamed so loud that my mic is going to pick up your scream through my earbuds. <laughs> Well, it's great that you have the house to yourself. It's just great. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get a lot of screaming in the next few episodes. Because it's the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that is perfectly acceptable. In fact, I support that. Thank um, you. Thank you. Yes. More screaming power to you, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, we're, we're talking about the war between the states. The war between the states, uh, yeah. yeah. So we're get us started. What? I what? said, so get us started. Oh, <laughs> As you were getting started. <laughs> the snake eats itself. I don't know. Carry on. <laughs> well, that's us. Okay, so April 12th, 1861, the Confederate States of America attacked Union-held Fort Sumter, and the American Civil War begins. Uh, on the war, of course, is super complicated. We'll cover everything. <laughs> Not in this no. episode. Not in this <laughs> well, some no. of it in this episode. And yeah. I, I wanted a disclaimer here. Uh, I apologize to our listeners, especially those who aren't from America and don't know a thing about this stupid war. There's more people who listen to us that are not in America than you think, probably. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean... Yeah. We have a lot of international <laughs> listeners, including two uh, from Norway. Oh. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. They love us. We love them. That's it. <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> it's Thank natural you. and beautiful, and you must accept it. Uh, okay. Can I scream what? a lot? Yeah, scream well, a lot. Maybe do a scream just for them. <laughs> <laughs> a Viking war cry or something, I don't know. Oh, that was good enough. Good. That was it. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. So, uh, a, qu a quick summary of the war, if you don't know, <laughs> is uh, basically several of our southern states, deci uh, they decided to secede from un the Union. I can't talk. Well, I'm doing a southern doing accent, fine. so I especially can't talk. But <laughs> <laughs> they uh, seceded from the Union because they liked slavery, didn't like tariffs, and also liked states' rights and small government rather than a large, powerful federal government. Okay. So the northern states and new President Abraham Lincoln didn't like this idea very much and wanted to keep the Union together at all costs. So Lincoln refused to acknowledge the secession of the deep southern states and threatened to march soldiers down there to make peace again. And this, of course, pissed off a few other states who then joined the Confederacy in the second secession movement. And now you've got the country divided and super pissed at e each other and Lincoln wants to preserve the Union at all costs and things are gonna get wild! <laughs> well, um... <clears throat> Ahem, ahem. Uh, Abraham. So Lincoln, a actually. A Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, so um, Lincoln said, you can't secede, and then threatened to march his men down there and force them to... 75,000 volunteers. Yeah, so um, don't the states have the right to secede still? Oh, boy. Uh, I'm just curious. Oh, boy. Uh, Tell me, James. Well... Oh, uh, oh, beer, this is a treacherous ground. Well, uh, I'm asking the question. You're asking for a friend? I'll answer I'm asking. No, it's not a loaded question. Well, I just want to know. I yeah. seem to remember something about this. Yeah, here's... Um, there is still debate about this today. 
Uh, I mean, well, you live in Texas, you know probably better than anyone that Texas, <laughs> every once in a while, wants to secede. <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a petition for it a few years back. Yeah, well, from my limited knowledge, I know that when the United States was formed, there were a lot of, well, the different states were all worried that they'd be giving up their autonomy to a federal government. So, uh, then with things like the Bill of Rights and the Federalist Papers, um, it was guaranteed to them that they would have the right to leave the Union at any time, pretty much for any reason. Um, and some people think that wasn't really a thing, but... Eh. <laughs> it seems I, like they should have gotten that nailed down before we got to a civil war. <laughs> yeah, well, in the War of 1812... <clears throat> I believe it was 1812. Uh, the federal government stopped all trade with England because we were, of course, with war at war with them. And there right. were a few northern states, uh, New York, along a few others, that said, "Hey, look, we want to trade still. Uh, our entire economy runs on this uh, maritime trading, so we're going to leave the Union if you don't stop this trade embargo." And it forced the federal government to stop the the trade embargo to keep these states within the Union. Um, I see. I also know that in Stephen Douglas and Abraham Lincoln's debates, Abraham Lincoln on several occasions defends the rights of states to secede, which is weird. <laughs> that is weird, because now he's literally threatening a state, right. states that are trying to secede. Okay, and but the, it's for the greater good. Well, and that's the complicated thing, is when the southern states... Uh, threatened to secede, they d they wanted to do so peacefully, and they offered to pay off all of their debt to the federal government so that there'd be, like, no question marks about it, mm -hmm. and they wanted to set up, you know, open trade rights between the North and South states, and Lincoln would e wouldn't even meet with their diplomats, he refused to acknowledge them as a separate country. So there's a lot of ifs around here, and of course what makes the entire thing ickier is that it, a lot of it was really just about slavery. Right, and, and they were just posing Yeah, or because the uh, the southern states at this time, if you consider them a country, was in the top five richest countries in the world at the time. Uh, really? Extremely wealthy because of primarily the cotton trade, which of course is uh, from the plantations and this uh, source of free labor. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not hard to be rich when you're forcing people to work for free. Yep, that's uh, that's how it goes. And well, as horrible as it is, I that's mean, that's disgusting. <laughs> that's the danger. That's the danger of capitalism. I mean, if they could get people to work without paying them anything at all, they would do it most of the time. True. Um, uh. Uh, but the other thing about slavery is the vast majority of Southerners didn't own slaves, and they were hurt by the slave-owning plantations. Because if you're if you're a farmer and you own ten acres, uh, ten acres, ten acres. <laughs> if you, <laughs> you own a, a basketball, a basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> if you own ten acres or ten acres, uh, how in the world are you going to compete with these massive plantations with thousands of slaves? There's no oh, yeah, way there's you no can way. financially compete with it. There's no way you can compete with free labor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so so th that's interesting to hear, though, that the massive majority were not slave owners. Yeah. Um, yeah so there's a lot of way. debate over... Uh, kind of just... Did the war need to happen? Uh, mm. Probably. Because uh, slavery was expanding. But then you have people like Robert E. Lee who thought that it would just die out 
um, peacefully, like it Robert had in a lot e. of Lee? European countries just a few years prior. Um, so it's Wait, super Robert E. Lee expected slavery to die out? Yeah, well, he did not support slavery. Um, what? Nope. Uh, he was from the South! He was what from the? Virginia, and Virginia seceded only after Lincoln threatened to march 75,000 troops through her to get to the other southern states. Oh, So I what's interesting that. about that is the second secession that I mentioned, um, I think it was Arkansas, Tennessee, and Virginia, they were all slave states, and they <laughs> voted to stay within the Union because they valued the Union so much. But what that means is, say... The southern states are allowed to leave. So now it's Arkansas, Tennessee, and Virginia. And again, I might have those states wrong. But now they're within the Union, uh, and they're outnumbered by abolitionist states. So that basically means that they're expecting to be forced to give up slavery. But they right. valued the Union so much that they're like, hey, it's worth it because we want to be a part of the Union. It wasn't until Abraham Lincoln was like, no, uh, secession isn't a right, and I'm going to march an army through you, mm -hmm. that they were like, hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. <We're, clears throat> we might have a problem with that. Yeah, and that's... So it's, like, really complicated. It's really complicated, and to say it's just about slavery is half true, but there's also so much more. And what's crazy about the Civil War is it's just a weird war, like... You had volunteers from every single northern state fighting with the southern army, and you had volunteers from every southern state fighting for the northern army. It was such... Because, again, we were fighting against our own people. We were all English speakers, uh, mm -hmm. all Americans. It's just so weird. And then, of course, there's the, the Protestant Catholic thing, where a lot of southerners were Catholics and a lot of northerners were Protestants, so that comes into play. And it's just a weird war. The more you study it, the more questions you get. It's just That's weird. That's so interesting, because the the image I have of it is this distilled, like, north-south, you know, uh, north not racist slave owners, south racist slave owners. Mm. And that's, like, that's, like, such a simplified view of... I mean, because they were all kinds of different states yeah. acting for all kinds of different reasons, and it just so happened that there was one side that was the Union and one side that was the Confederacy. Yep. Um, but again, I'm completely ignorant of all of it, so you're schooling me on this right now. <laughs> well, and I, I don't want to sound like I have it figured out, because I'm still trying to figure out the Civil War. Uh, and maybe it was the right thing for our country? I, I don't know, like, it, it's just messy. Um, well, and, it was the right thing because it essentially forced abolition, is that correct? Maybe It was, but then you have to wonder, was forced abolition the right thing? Uh, and, <laughs> of course, abolition is the right thing, but what happened after the Civil War is you have all these Southerners who, are, who lost the war, and then they're being pretty much punished in a lot of ways. They're going to take their anger out on someone, and, of course, it's going to be the, the innocent blacks who get the most of it. So you have things like the KKK and Jim Crow laws just skyrocket after the Civil War. And Jesus. some historians think that it's the losing side always picks someone to blame it on and always picks someone to take it out on. Um, well, we've seen that again and again. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, and also the North, <laughs> the North was pretty much just as racist as the South in a lot of ways. I mean, some of the first Jim Crow laws were in northern states. Um, Illinois was one of the first... Uh, states and uh, even 
years before the Civil War, Illinois made it illegal for black people to live in the state. It's just What the fuck? No way! (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Really? Yep. Um... No, so, that's so stupid. Oh, I know. So, <laughs> is it? The whole Holy thing sh- is so dumb. Uh, wow. And then, and then, of course, you had Republicans in the North who uh, they're like, "Yeah, slavery is wrong, but we don't want blacks living in our neighborhoods. We need to ship them off to Africa." And that's why the country of Liberia was founded because what? we wanted to ship off all all the African Americans here back to Africa because. How dare we intermingle with a different race? Wait a second. Yeah. Are you sure you're not morphing into Alex Jones right now? <laughs> I don't think Alex Jones. I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not. Um. I don't. That's amazing because I didn't know any of that shit. It was like, I mean, <clears throat> the big thing that gets me is we treat the North, and I'm not a Southern sympathizer. I'm not. I just want to put that out there. Um. It's impossible to really uh, support a country that is so much dependent on the practice of slavery and racism. But people, we view the North as like these Christian angels who come (laughs) down and, you know, grace the South with preservation and the destruction of slavery. But it's not that clear cut and you and I have seen this again and again and again the winners write the history books and uh, there's so much shit on their hands <laughs> just just look up Abraham Lincoln racist quotes <laughs> I, I don't okay I'm gonna do this Abraham uh, <laughs> am I gonna be able to read these I don't know it's been a while right. since I've done it uh, history news network I don't know if that's real Uh, uh, yeah, anybody can quote something. Yeah. Say it was him. His, so uh, gonna, his debates with Frederick Douglass are, are pretty incriminating in a lot of points, if I remember really? correctly. It's been a while since I've looked at the Civil War again, but from what I remember. Huh. Okay, so we've gotten one paragraph in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's a I, I, I didn't know any of that shit. Okay, that's, yeah. that's all. So all that to say, okay, the Civil so it's War super is complicated. super complicated, <laughs> <laughs> and we don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so let's let's carry on then. So, so back to Lincoln's Grant. threatening to march south. Yeah. So okay. now it's a war. So the Southerners have fired on Fort Sumter, which was a federal fort in Southern territory. The war has begun. So four days later, Grant and his equally shocked citizens of Galena all get together and have a meeting about what to do. Uh, and Grant, remember, kind of saw this war coming and didn't want it to, but then he hears a super patriotic speech and realizes that it is his sacred duty as an American to go and join the Union Army. And, uh, this has nothing to do with earning some money. <laughs> <laughs> it very well could. Uh, yeah. Maybe he was just drunk and was like, oh, there's this war going on, like, <laughs> I'll get a uniform again. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> But wasn't he discharged for drinking? He resigned. Uh, resigned. So, basically, but... Under pain of death. <laughs> I don't know. I mean... Gotcha. I'd rather be dead than alive in California. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, uh, okay. in Grant's own words, he said, I never went into our leather store again. So, he is a soldier boy. Yep. 
<laughs> don't don't do it. Don't do what? Soldier Boy? Yep. Anyway. I don't know anything about that. Neither so do I. I can't do anything. <laughs> so Grant does not just join the local militia because he's not a farmer. So this right. guy is a soldier and he's actually seen uh, real combat and he commanded actual soldiers. So he wants a higher position, goddammit. All right. <laughs> but Union Major General George McClellan and Brigadier General Nathaniel Lyon look at Grant and go, eh, and turn down his requests. <laughs> of course. Which is a mistake. So uh, Grant then goes to a congressman of Illinois who grants him the position of military aide to Governor Richard Yates. Okay. Uh, and then a few months later, he's promoted to colonel and put in charge of the 21st Illinois Volunteer Infantry Regiment. Uh, which was a collection of a bunch of dumb jackasses who knew nothing about <laughs> fighting but loved to fuck around. <laughs> That's perfect for Grant. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, within weeks, Grant uh, had completely disciplined them. So Really? He is a real, real commander here. <laughs> God, yeah. okay. So Grant and his 21st Illinois Regiment was then sent to Missouri to fight off some Confederate forces... Uh, and Grant then moved his way up to commander of the District of Southeastern Missouri. So Grant set up his command at Cairo, Illinois, which is spelled like Cairo, Egypt, but pronounced like Cairo because fuck it, we're Americans. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. I hate it. Anyway. <laughs> Grant. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So then Grant led his troops into Paducah, Kentucky, took it without a fight, and set up a base. Uh, but this was complicated because Kentucky was one of a few states that were technically neutral. Smack dab uh, right in between the north and south. Um, right. So I, I left those out. But yeah, there were a few states, the border states, who didn't take any side. <laughs> yeah. And they became what as a result? Um, uh, infection of humidity and garbage. Uh, <laughs> Now plights the nation. <laughs> Entire state of, fate, of fence sitters. I almost said face sitters. Oh my god. <laughs> Only if it's their cousin. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> that shot was well put by. <laughs> <laughs> wow, shit. Okay. I, okay. I have woken up. I am woke. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, okay. alright. So, um, so Grant Superior, then General Fremont, orders Grant to make demonstrations against the Confederates, but not to actually engage them. Uh, and Grant was confused by this, and the yeah. North was confused by this, and Lincoln was confused by this, and God was confused by this. Uh, and so General Fremont was kicked out of the army, and this allowed Grant more flexibility to do some more stuff. Really? Yeah. So Grant uses this newfound freedom to lead an attack on Confederate encampments in Belmont, Missouri. So Grant, alongside Brigadier General McLarenard, McLeonard, <laughs> uh, they attack the Confederates and are defeated and forced to retreat. <laughs> oh my god. In fact, it's so bad that Grant and his troops have to fight their way back to Illinois through Confederate territory. Oh, um, Jesus. Yeah, so not a great wow. start for a Granty boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll grant you that. <laughs> uh, so this was a complete Confederate victory, but Grant's men saw their commander in the heat of battle and put their total confidence in him because he was totally cool under fire and he knew what he was doing. Good. And more importantly, remember that little guy named President Lincoln? Oh yeah, that little guy. It's like guy. what five foot two? <laughs> five foot two meters. 
(laughs) (laughs) So President Lincoln notices that Grant was willing to fight while other of his generals would avoid conflict, and Lincoln decided to keep his eye on uh, our boy Grant. So that's a little promising. Yeah. So in the area of the in this area of the war, the Midwest, the real battle was for control of the Mississippi River, um, because it was essentially a giant road that connected north with south. And for those of you who don't know American geography, uh, the Mississippi River looks like this big watery butt crack through the middle of our nation, <laughs> and uh, it's easy to sail up and down it. And yeah, giant road, like I said. <laughs> Dude, I'm so... Oh my god, I can't... What the fuck? I'm not awake. <laughs> well, you're doing fine. Okay, well, I'm, good. I'm, I'm, I'm totally following. Mm-hmm. Alright. <laughs> so, uh, the problem with this is they're fighting for the Mississippi, Mississippi, and the Confederates had a whole system of forts that protected their bottom half of the Mississippi. Right. What? The bottom half. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry. So Grant's superior, General McPherson, comes up with a plan to take some of these forts. Uh, Grant also comes up with a plan, but it was turned down because fuck of Grant, who the fuck are you? Get out of here. Uh, and basically what happens is this. In early 1862, Union gunboats blasted Confederate held fort, uh, held fort, Fort Henry, and then Grant moved in on land and easily captured the fort. Uh, and then Grant immediately ordered an assault on the near boy, near boy, near boy. Near boy? <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't attack any boys. We'll leave that to oh. the Catholic priests. No, he attacks oh, near boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you gotta cut that out. Okay, so he Grant then goes on to attack nearby Fort Donelson, which was much more uh, well defended. What right. Donelson means. Also, the fort's gun repulsed the Union gunpo- gunboats. Um, Ew. Yeah. They were repulsed. They were. <laughs> like, oh, there's some picky guns. Uh, <laughs> so Fort Donaldson was going to be a hard nut to crack. Um, all these words I used were just not well chosen. But anyway. So. <laughs> nut. Crack. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. Repulse. <laughs> Gunboats. <laughs> so, right. Okay. <laughs> So it's this standoff at Fort Donelson, uh, and there were some skirmishes on each side, or as each side tried to probe each other. Oh, God. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I, uh, I do get turned on by military history, so that <laughs> might be why <laughs> these words have transferred from my, uh, my wet dreams to this podcast, but anyway. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, Wait, just dreaming this? about Fort Donaldson. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> what were you going to say? <laughs> what was that one campaign speech or uh, slogan? We'll make your wet dreams come true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I think uh, Fake Episode 3 will be released after this, so that's a little tidbit you can look forward to. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, God. Anyway, we're okay. never going to get through the Civil War, which we is what keep a lot going, of those soldiers experience, too. Over 600,000, actually. (laughs) Jesus, God. (laughs) You're on fire, man. Keep them coming. (laughs) It's so horrible. I'm a horrible human being. We know. We know. That's that's true. That's why you look like the creature from the Russian sleep experiment. That's why I'm a true American. (laughs) And that's why you can't sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. Hmm. So, So. they're fighting over Fort Donaldson, and what happens? So... (laughs) 
Uh, so Grant didn't give up, and he managed to talk with all the Union forces nearby, and he coordinated an attack on the fro uh, the forts from all of them, even though he technically didn't command all of these forces. Got it. So, uh, yeah, he's stepping out of his boots a little here. Uh, that doesn't mean <laughs> anything, but we're gonna go with it. So, That's anyway, fine. Grant wins. Uh, Fort Donaldson was captured, along with 12,000 Confederate prisoners, uh, and this was Grant's real first victory in the Civil War. Oh. And that's not a bad, that's not a shabby victory at that. No, that's really that's huge. big. Yeah, 12,000 in a fort. So, so his superiors must have been, like, thrilled, right? Uh, actually, they were not happy. Um, oh. Yeah. Uh, because he had acted without orders, and he had also taken command of troops that weren't his. <laughs> Which is kind fuck? of a no-no in the military hierarchy. I mean, I get it, but he did win the battle. <laughs> True. Yeah, but remember that, well, actually, you might remember, but our listeners might not remember, is that in the Civil War, the Southern generals were uh, famous for being excellent generals most of the time, and the Northern generals were usually just the worst. <laughs> right. Uh, who were not strategic, they more cared about um, fame and glory. <laughs> So, with God. that in mind, um, a lot of his superior officers send word off to Washington crying about Grant, um, uh, so this, along with the pressures of war and being away from his family, got Grant into drinking again, mm -hmm. um, which is sad. Yeah. Nevertheless, his soldiers absolutely loved him, and Lincoln was thrilled he had a general in the West who was willing to fight, and northern newspapers started to praise Grant whom they dubbed Unconditional Surrender Grant because he had forced the Confederate forces to totally surrender at Fort Donelson with no terms other than just total surrender. That's uh, not a bad nickname, Unconditional Surrender Grant. No, not at all. And a lot of victory, or a lot of surrenders at this time, there were terms, like if the Confederates lost, they would say, okay, but you gotta give us free access back to the South. And the right. North would be like, okay, cool, but hand over the fort. But yeah. in this case, Grant's like, uh-uh, um, you're my prisoner. <laughs> like, <laughs> everything is mine. Um, yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. But the war was by no means over. It was not even close, actually, because both the Union and the Confederate forces were gathering massive armies in the Western Theater, and it was pretty clear that there was going to be this big showdown uh, that would probably decide the outcome of the war. Okay. Um, and much of the Union Army was being brought together at this place on the Tennessee River called Pittsburgh Landing in Tennessee. Alrighty. Yeah. So Grant soon. This is big. This is a this is a big battle. So that's why I'm. Oh, okay. It. I'm waking up. I'm up. Yep. All right. So. Uh, Meanwhile, let's, let's forty thousand Confederate troops. Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah. Sorry. Well, uh, you you skipped a sentence into my brain. Um, I did that on purpose. Uh, so Grant soon moved here and was. Fuck you. <laughs> you okay. Know, that hurts, man. That yeah. hurts. <laughs> Okay, start over. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Welcome to We Talk About no. Dead People, a podcast where we... <laughs> okay. So set up this battle for us, James. All right, Pittsburgh so Landing. In Tennessee. They're on the Tennessee River. Grant has 45,000 Union troops. Uh, meanwhile, 40,000 Confederate troops were approaching the Union camp... But Union Brigadier General William Tecumseh Sherman assured Grant that there were no Confederate forces nearby. <laughs> How so, is he so sure? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Grant, instead of setting up defenses, spent time drilling his new soldiers. Oh god. Um. <laughs> not, um. Shit. Now you're just doing it on purpose. As in training. <laughs> right. He didn't drill. Yeah, got yeah, it. Okay. So he wanted to immediately press further into Confederate territory. But his commanding officer commanded Grant to wait until 25,000 more reinforcements arrived under General Buell. Okay. So Grant waited. Um, totally unprepared and unaware of the 40,000 Confederates who were quickly closing down on the Union camp. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. Alright. So, on the morning of April 6th, 1862, the day began as usual within the Union camp. Uh, and then everything changed in an instant... 40,000 Confederate forces came charging out of the woods into the Union camp, taking the Northerners completely by surprise. Uh, the <laughs> well, Union that soldiers... sucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they didn't have their guns loaded. They weren't dressed. They uh, hadn't eaten. Some were still in bed. Uh, Jesus. And as such, the Confederates just swept through the outer parts of the Union camp, totally annihilating the Union forces. Oh, uh, God. And the Union soldiers pretty much all broke into a rout as they had no idea what the fuck was going on and they were not ready for a fight. So tens of thousands of unarmed Union soldiers are now routing towards the river with the Confederates hot on their heels. And then, uh, then something happened. Why did I write, and then everything happened? Because... <laughs> the Big Bang? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these Union soldiers are running along and go, oh fuck, and then bang, the universe begins. <laughs> Uh, and Ken yeah. Ham is like, this is fake news! <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yes. Okay, so it looks like it's going to be a complete Confederate victory, uh, as all the Union forces are just fleeing. Uh, but mm -hmm. then a few thousand Union soldiers decided to form a defensive line in order to cover their retreating buddies. So these guys buckled down, loaded their rifles, and held the Confederates off, which was basically a suicide mission. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, due to poor communication and leadership, the Confederates decided to attack these defenders instead of simply bypassing them. So, big mistake on the Confederates. Uh, thus, fierce fighting went on here for seven fucking hours. As, oh my uh, god. A handful of these brave Union soldiers sacrificed everything to allow the rest of the army to retreat. Those and, uh, brave boys. <laughs> yeah, the brave boys. By the way, if you hear a bathroom fan, that's on my end. That's on your end? You that are was... into some weird shit. Anyway, um... <laughs> <laughs> so the area yeah. of this battle became known as the Hornet's Hornet's Nest, as the continual whizzing of bullets sounded like a giant nest of angry hornets. Um, really? Yeah, and I've I've actually been here. It's the well, we'll get to it's the Battle of Shiloh, and it's one of the best marked uh, Civil War battlefields in the United States. I encourage people to go out there, even though it's kind of in the middle of nowhere Tennessee but really cool place um, and you can see where the hornet's nest was and it's it's haunting really there's got to be some killer paintings of this oh there are yeah for sure um, but it's also horrific um, yeah so basically they held here for seven hours and they also held against perhaps as many as 14 charges um, damn and it wasn't until the Confederates repositioned 50 cannons basically directly at the Hornet's Nest and fired them at point-blank that the Hornet's Nest guys surrendered. That uh, took 50 cannons at point-blank range to stop these guys. Yeah. Yep. Those brave boys indeed. Those brave boys. Well, what's funny is 
well, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but this actually turns out to be a Union victory against all odds, but only because of the Hornet's Nest. And likewise, the Civil War was a Union victory, but much just because uh, the Union won in the West at the Battle of the Shiloh. So really, it can be argued, and it has been argued, that these guys at the Hornet's Nest saved the whole war for the Union. Um, really? Just because they had balls of lead <laughs> and well, decided they did. to stand and fight. Uh, they literally did have balls of lead. Exactly. That was, <laughs> see, my, I am efficient with my words. Two meanings, <laughs> two words. <laughs> Master linguist over here. <laughs> right. Did you notice what I did there? Did you notice what I did? Uh, no. I didn't say cunning linguist. Mm. Like every student oh newspaper God. does. <laughs> yep. Right. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. You're welcome. You are welcome. Yep. Now all we I need saw is that to Taylor. say that Grant was the master baiter. Uh, <sighs> we're going to lose all of our listeners on this fucking episode <laughs> because we're so fucking immature. Yeah, no. Or we'll just gain, like, 500 new 12-year-olds. Oh, God, that's even Who worse. are going to school us on history. <laughs> yeah. Right. Actually, actually... Uh, I don't know, they're gonna say something contrarian just to fuck with us. Grant was a reptilian who believed that Santa Claus built the pyramids. <laughs> it, yeah, I'm not even gonna try. Alright, <clears throat> so they won this thing because, was it a win or was it well, just so a... Well, the Hornet's Nest was a defeat because every Union soldier who stood to fight uh, was either killed or captured and sent to Confederate POW camps uh, where death was pretty much just a given. Um, and those, right. Those things were pretty bad. However, because these guys made their stand, they saved the battle for the North, and thus arguably prevented the South from winning the entire fucking war, which I said just right. two fucking seconds ago. Mm -hmm. So, because the seven hours of their stand gave General Grant to reorganize the fragments of his army that had retreated, and I okay. said that like there was more of more in the sentence, but that's actually it. So That's like one of those fake sentences they give you in second grade, and they're like, is this a complete sentence? And you exactly. check yes or no, uh -huh. and right now you would be failing second grade. Well, that's the rest of my life, too, so... <laughs> I know. Yep. Alright, so... <clears throat> okay, so that night... Grant gets to reorganize. Yep. So okay. that night of the battle, the hornet's nest was overrun, but fighting... Uh, fighting actually stopped as a heavy rain and darkness overtook the region, and forced both sides to stop. Um, only the sound of heavy rain, the cries of thousands of dying men trapped in the woods of no man land, and the Jesus. occasional gunshot could be heard. It's truly horrific. That is horrifying. This battle actually reminded me a lot of World War I battles, uh, just because the trenches and the mud and the dead. Ugh, just disgusting. Yeah. yeah. We do, are we going to talk about the Battle of the Crater? Uh, briefly, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 we'll get to that. That's fucked. <laughs> that is fucked. So, that night, Grant and his commanders held a, uh, a council to decide what to do next. Because remember, they're now surrounded on the banks of a river. They're going right. to be forced into the river um, if they don't surrender. So Grant was asked if he would retreat, to which he replied, Retreat? No. I propose to attack them at daylight and whip them. Whip them? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the next morning, 18,000 wow. soldiers from Union <laughs> Uh, so General Buell, who's a Union general, he reinforces Grant's army the next morning with 18,000 soldiers, which was <laughs> pretty lucky. <laughs> and Grant orders a total counterattack against the rebel forces. The Confederates... Wow! <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, sorry. You're, you're, general Buell. Uh, 
Yeah. Okay. So the Confederates, meanwhile, were demoralized because of their lack of victory, and also one of their generals had died from the fighting the day before. They were also exhausted. Thus, Grant's counterattack smashed into the rebel lines, and the Confederates soon broke into a complete rout. So wow. the ambushed became the ambusher. Yes. Which was uh, <laughs> my college slogan. But... Yeah. Anyway. And then the ambusher became the ambush, because when you're mega rich, you're never going to give them any donations, are you? Mm -mm. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Did that make any sense? I don't know if it made I don't sense. know, I uh, but I laughed, because I'm fucking tired. <laughs> I was going to say, you're programmed to laugh. <laughs> A laugh track. Remember we talked about that yesterday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so okay. the battle thus completely turned around and became a Union victory. It is known as the Battle of Shiloh. Uh, however, Grant's superiors commanded that he not chase down the fleeing Confederates. Uh, thus, much of the rebel force was allowed to escape, and this proved to Grant that the war would not be won by only one battle. Still, it's amazing that Grant was able to pull victory from the jaws of defeat here. Uh, it was mm -hmm. also the bloodiest battle in American history up to this point, as there were 23,746 casualties, uh, and it stunned both sides of the nation, because... I believe it. America had never seen a battle this horrifying. Well, they're gonna see a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, um... And because of this, a lot of people in the North actually started to blame the massive amounts of casualties on Grant. Uh, they said it, it was his drunkenness and pride that caused this amount of blood. Right. Uh, and in addition, Union General Halleck arrived and relieved Grant of command, moving Grant down lower on the chain of command. And discouraged by this, Grant thought about resigning and leaving the army for good. Um, but his friend Tecumseh Sherman, who we will cover soon... Uh, convinced Grant to stay. And... <laughs> was Grant, like, drunk and, like, shuffling around his camp, like, I'm just gonna quit. I'm just gonna give it all up. Nobody and to come to Sherman comes up and me. smacks him. He's like, get your life together, <laughs> God! <laughs> <laughs> so, Tecumseh Sherman, like, convinces him to stay. Mm-hmm. Yep. While he's probably a little bit tipsy. <laughs> <laughs> probably. But meanwhile, right. it's not all bad for Grant, because Lincoln okay. absolutely loves him, and famous, famous, famously said... Famously? Oh, shoot, uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh... Um, what? I, I can't do it, his voice. Never mind. I'm just gonna say... I can't spare this man. He fights. Uh, it'll do. It'll do, big. <laughs> it'll do. <laughs> so finally, General oh. Halleck reinstated Grant as the field commander of the Union Army of the Tennessee in July of 1862. So Grant moves quickly to defeat the Confederates in the Battle of Luca, and then, or no, sorry, Iuka. Uh, sorry. Iuka. Uh, and then again at Corinth. And then he commands his units to incorporate former slaves into the Union Army. And uh, Grant oh. gave these freedmen clothes, shelter, wages, and weapons. So, Whoa. remember, well, this is actually big because a lot of Union officers and soldiers were just as racist as the South, and they did not want to be fighting side-by-side side with black men. Really? And, yeah. Oh, and there was a big... It took, it took a few years before Lincoln said, okay, blacks can fight in the Northern Army. What? Um, because there was so much opposition to it at first. Um... But Grant was not on board with that. He was like, hell, these people have more of a right to fight than any of us. So he gives them weapons and wages right away. So points wow. for Grant for that. Yeah. 
I like Grant, I do. Yeah, and that's... I came into researching Grant, and I was kind of expecting not to like him, but then I, I found myself completely just falling in love with this dude. Um, platonically, of course. Uh, but then, then later, it's like, oh, gosh, no, I don't like him. Wait, I do like him, and it's just back and forth. It's, it's complicated. Really? Mm. Yeah. As most people are. Yeah, that's the thing. So now that we're done with the coolest battle that Grant was a part of, we're gonna fly through the rest of the war because we're, uh, we're millennials! Yeah, well, it's okay, because, because military history isn't interesting to everybody. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've been sleeping this whole time. I know you have, yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, so Grant and his army of about 40,000 Union soldiers continue on down the Mississippi, fighting some minor battles, freeing and enlisting any slaves they come upon, and gaining valuable fighting experience. Their new goal was the Confederate stronghold of Vicksburg, Missouri, which is pretty much the last M thing standing... M Mississippi. What? It says Mississippi. What did I say? You said Missouri. Ah! They're going after the stronghold of Vicksburg, Mississippi. Yep, and it's the last thing standing... Uh, between the Union and control of the entire Mississippi River. Right, right. So, it was about this time, though, that Grant issued his famous General Order Number 11. And, uh, we need to talk about this real quick, because I had no idea this thing happened. Oh. Um, so while the Union was winning in the Western Front, an illegal cotton trade was beginning to flourish in the black market where Grant, uh, controlled. Mm. Uh, now, this was illegal at the time because cotton was mostly a southern product, and any cotton sold meant that money was going to fund the South, which means the war would uh, be longer and more men would die. Right. Uh, so it makes sense that the Union made this illegal in Union-controlled uh, western and southern territories. Uh, and it also makes sense that Grant would respond to this growing black market system. But here's what he did. Uh, he issued General Order Number 11, which expelled all Jews from the district Grant controlled. What? Which included parts of Tennessee, Mississippi, and Kentucky. What? Yeah, out of nowhere. Um, and he did this because he blamed Jewish merchants for the black market system. What the fuck? Damn it, I just... I, I told you, I was like, I love this guy. Wait, no, now I don't. And it's just back and forth. Um, that is so fucking crazy. Yeah. Now, thankfully, not much really happened from this, because within weeks, the Jewish community in America had complained to President Lincoln, and Lincoln ordered Grant to basically take it back. Um, so it was repealed within a few weeks. Uh, but the damage was already done, and many people labeled Grant anti-Semitic. Which is... is it sounds uh, like it. <laughs> I was gonna say, it's you're like banning Lindbergh. people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, God, why do we keep running into this shit? I don't know. I'm... Yeah. Okay. So, later during Grant's presidency, which we'll get to, he was asked about this, and his response was, During war times, these nice distinctions were disregarded. We had no time to handle things with kid gloves. Um, he also said that while he didn't hold anything against the Jewish people, he was trying to fix a problem that Jews had started. Oh! So... Oh! Eh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 the, the whole categorization thing All of right. the entire people group is kind yeah. of eh, no no we've done we've been there we've done that it does not go well no sir yep yep, yep never yep. <laughs> yeah so uh, so yeah that's that's something I learned about about Grant that's I'd never heard of that before in my life yeah it's also the the most anti-Semitic legislation that's ever been passed in uh, the United States so it's kind of but it was a, it was an order uh, order number eleven. 
or General Order mm. Number Eleven by Grant. Yep. Got it. So okay. interesting. So back to the war. On May 16, 1863, Grant defeated a Confederate army at the Battle of Champion Hill, and <laughs> uh, okay. was now in a good position to assault the fortress of Vicksburg. Uh, after Ooh. two failed and costly assaults, Grant settled down to a long siege of the city. The siege lasted seven weeks, and Grant often resorted to getting drunk off his ass during the quiet <laughs> moments of the siege. <laughs> So, uh... <laughs> I resonate with this guy. Right, yeah, I thought... It Whenever I'm that. besieging Vicksburg, I have to get drunk several times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so, just the circle of life. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Mm. So after seven long weeks, Vicksburg finally surrendered, and this cemented Union control of the Mississippi River, and also effectively cut the Confederacy in half. Um, so huge Union victory right here, uh, and Grant's fame continues to rise. As does his blood alcohol content. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> anyway, then Link promo Lincoln promoted Grant to Major General and gave him control of some more divisions, yada yada yada. Grant then finished capturing Tennessee for the Union and headed into the state of Georgia, which was the heartland of the Confederacy. And all that, though, that one sentence I've just said, has... Yeah. It's an entire book of information, so... Yeah, yeah. Take this with a grain of salt. I'm... There's so much on Grant that I am... <laughs> it's a crime how much I've summarized. Uh, we are we are the whiskey of history. We are distilled carefully. In a barrel. In a barrel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, hmm. yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so, carry on. He's moving on. Uh, then Grant was promoted to Lieutenant General, which in turn gave... Grant control of all Union armies, uh, answering Damn. only to President Lincoln himself. Whoa! So kind of big. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So Grant and Lincoln began working together quite closely, and Lincoln pretty much allowed Grant to use any strategies he's, he wanted as long as the Confederacy and their top boy, Robert E. Lee, were defeated. Um, so a blank check, basically. Yeah, that's pretty significant, actually. Yeah, so mm. Grant then devised a five-pronged, massive, coordinated attack on the Confederacy. Uh, the idea was basically this. The North has more men than the South, so the more men we throw at them, the less likely they'll be able to hold all of their lines against us. Um, which we'll get into. Yeah. It's, it's very much treating soldiers as pawns and not as yes. humans. Eh. Anyway, yeah. so the plan included 533,000 Union troops along an 18-mile front. Uh, Whoa. Yeah. A lot of guys. And uh, this was kind of the final showdown of the war. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, the Confederacy was in a really tight spot. Many of their best generals were dead, and they are also just plain running out of men. Uh, and it's pretty right. hard to fight a war with no boys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when, when the... When the brave boys run out, the the country will <laughs> fall out of the plane and land on a chicken. And I don't know. I'm trying to do that thing you do. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, to and summarize, to summarize this system, it's really just the first steps of the Doppler effect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> to summarize for you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> So the Overland Campaign began because it was a campaign that went overland. <laughs> clever Grant. Very clever. 
Uh, and the campaign was basically hell on earth for everybody. Uh, oh, fierce fighting, grinding, and a whole lot of death. Grinding? Uh, yeah, grinding. As in, as like in video rig. game grinding, not oh, <laughs> not your. It's like imagining all these grind. Union and Confederate soldiers grinding on each other. Dirty in a raid. dancing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, never mind. This this like this like EDM remix of Dixie playing in the background. <laughs> Now there's a scene. Uh, instead of bayonets, they've got glow sticks on their rifles. <laughs> that yeah, can you, yeah. I'm uh, I'm a little flustered over here, I'll admit. Gr uh, Grant's just in the corner with his arms around two Confederate soldiers, and he's got a <laughs> bottle of whiskey in each hand. <laughs> Come on, let's party! Yeah, so grind, we're making boys, light of grind. this. <laughs> we it's are. the Overland campaign. <laughs> God. All right. We are yep. a disgrace to our country, my friend. <laughs> our country no longer exists. Oh. Because they lost the war. <laughs> you can't say that on the air. I'm in Texas. <laughs> oh, I guess that's true. I'm in Illinois, though, so my country won. You. Does that mean we cunt. have to either fight or switch? <laughs> <laughs> wow, shit, dude. Wow. <laughs> Uh, what were you yeah. saying? <laughs> I was gonna make another joke, but now it's too late, so... Well... Carry on with the rave on the 18-mile front. Oh. Uh, so, this was not like a single battle, was it? No, it was a whole system of battles. Um, <laughs> okay. And as the campaign continued, the Union slowly started gaining ground, and it became clear that the ultimate fight would be Grant and his boys versus Robert E. Lee and his boys. And right. this was it. So, okay. on May 5th, 1864, Grant attacked Lee at the Battle of the Wilderness. Uh, and the battle was inconclusive, except, of course, 30,000 casualties total. Uh, but Grant was able to continue the offensive. Uh, and then the Battle of Sponsylvania Courthouse occurred. And again, it was inconclusive, but with another 30,000 casualties. God damn it. Yeah. I'm so, sure everybody's but, getting frustrated. Yeah. Uh, neither side was defeated, though. Uh, so oh, next, really? Grant attacked one of the Confederates' uh, salient lines, which I we've talked about those before, right? Yeah. I f um, forget when. I think it was with the... Uh, what's his name? The Canadian guy. The Canadian guy, with World War One, yeah. Yeah. Andrew something. Uh, Jackson, yep. Oh, God. <laughs> no. Come on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's so keep going. he's attack he's attacking the Confederate lines, but he's unable to break Lee. Uh, so next, Grant attacked Cold Harbor, which was a Confederate hub, uh, a railroad hub, I think. And mm. even though the Confederates were super, oh, sorry, my my God, these sentences uh, in my brain um, <laughs> that you didn't write that I didn't write. So <laughs> the Confederates are super well entrenched here, but Grant attacks anyway, and he loses. And thirteen thousand oh. Union boys also lost. Oh God! Uh, this was not enough to stop Grant, though. Uh, even though later on he said he did regret fighting this battle, which like no shit. Uh, oh yes. Yeah. How could you not regret a battle that you? Well, I don't know. Never mind. 
So then Grant maneuvers around Lee, and this is all very long and complicated, and there are so many important battles that I'm not even mentioning, but oh well. That's life. So meanwhile, the North is growing tired of war, and they're really getting angry at Grant because he's trying to win at any cost at this point, and the Union dead are just piling up. Got it. Uh, I just burped and said, uh, at the same time. Cut that out. <laughs> Grant also did things like, uh, he told General Sheridan to take hostage Confederate families in order to stop attacks by their husbands and brothers. Hmm. Uh, which is icky. Yeah, that's kind of icky. <laughs> and this, this whole style of warfare employed by Grant became known as a war of attrition, which definitely has its critics. Yeah, um, like, just we... wearing your enemies down to a nub. Is. Basically, it's like we have more men than them, so if we lose a guy and they lose a guy, it hurts them more than us. So let's just throw soldiers at them. Uh, World War and one. again, we, we yeah, I, we said earlier they're pawns instead of human beings. So it's one of the things people hold against Grant. Although at the same time, it helped him win the war. So it, again, it's complicated. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because um, like there was a there was a lot of controversy in World War One a lot of the times because people were accusing one another of being butchers basically because they would just yeah. say we can win by sending you know ten thousand men in this direction mm -hmm. and we're gonna lose nine thousand of them but we'll still win the victory yeah you know, sacrifices must be made or some shit like that yeah, and it's really gross it's kind of <laughs> it's it's blatantly inhumane yeah yeah well and this is also getting closer and closer to the time period of military revolution in that we now had weapons that weren't single shot and then you had to spend three minutes reloading it no we were no, we now were inventing weapons that were designed just to wipe out entire battalions right uh, and we weren't quite there yet but this was we were getting closer and closer which <laughs> uh, human ingenuity people <laughs> great ways to kill each other uh, just give us your money I don't know Stark Industries, <laughs> Iron Man, <laughs> Thor, <Right>. okay, <laughs> Thanos, who I uh -huh. thought looked like Bruce Willis, but was actually Josh Brolin. I don't know. Hmm. I didn't watch the movie. Fuck it. I did. That's why I didn't get all the memes about people like dissolving or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, speaking of dissolving. Um, <laughs> So, Grant tries to take the Confederate town of Petersburg by sieging it, uh, and then digging under the enemy trenches, dumping loads of explosives in the tunnels, blowing the trenches to Kingdom Come, and then charging into the crater. Uh, and you brought this up earlier, this is the battle known as the Battle of the Crater. Um, hmm. Which is a horrific Union defeat, because... Uh, so the Union soldiers just charge into this, this crater... Uh, that they made... That they made, um, and they're shot down as they're crawling over their own dead in this bloody, muddy crater. Uh, 3,500 Union soldiers were shot down. Um, God. It's horrific. Just in a hole in the ground. The Confederates just standing around the sides, blasting at them. Easily picking them off. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what are they going to do when they get to the other side? Climb out? I mean... Yeah. That's like, that's madness. It, it is. Grant uh, had to be drunk when he came up with that. How about this? <laughs> We'll just dig under the Petersburg and we'll plant all of the explosives we have. And then we're just going to run in. Yeah. <laughs> and his, yeah. his, his, uh, his aides. His aides were like, yes, General Grant, sir. And he goes, I sense doubt in you. 
well, I'll just ring up Abraham Lincoln and see what he says. Yep. <laughs> and unfortunately, Abraham Lincoln was dealing with his own battle of the crater. Oh, God. Wait, what? <laughs> right, was that an assassination joke? Yeah. <laughs> We're not marking, there yet. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, so it was, it didn't work. No, it did not work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Grant himself admitted that this tactic had been a stupendous failure, uh, but still Grant, he, he continued running around harassing Lee's line, but not giving into a final battle between the two of them. Uh, his plan was to wear Robert E. Lee down over time, no matter the cost, yeah. and it seemed to work. Oh. Uh, that's the problem. Like, it's horrible, but it works? Uh. Yeah. So Lee's, for <laughs> Lee's forces were stretched out on a line of 35 miles, and they also started deserting by the thousands uh, because of hunger and uh, exhaustion from the war. Um, yeah. Can't blame them. No, not at all. So finally Grant took Petersburg, forcing Lee into a very difficult position. Uh, Grant was ready to end the war, though, so while still maneuvering his forces to surround Lee, he sent Lee a message saying basically, Hey bro, anytime you want to surrender is good with me. Uh, just pick a spot and let me know. <laughs> and Lee almost uh, agreed immediately. <laughs> wow. So the, so the two men, along with top officers of both sides, met at Appomattox Courthouse on April 9th, uh, 1865. And the meeting began with Lee and Grant reminiscing about whooping old Mexico's ass a few years ago. <laughs> oh, God. Because <laughs> they both fought in the Mexican-American War. Uh, then they wrote up the surrender terms, and the Confederate soldiers were given amnesty. Uh, they would surrender their weapons and return to their homes, and they were also allowed to keep their horses as long as they took a vow not to ever rise up against the United States ever again. Damn. Then Grant ordered his men to stop all celebration because, quote, War is over, the rebels are our countrymen again. Wait. Which is kind of neat, I think. Well, he was telling them to stop celebrating? Yeah, because they're like, they're, you know, cheering that the war is over. And probably harassing the Confederates with all sorts of insults. Oh yeah, okay, I got and it. And Grant is like, hey look, we're all Americans. So, I thought Amazing. it was kind of neat. That is a, that's, that's pretty cool. Shortly after this, the remaining rebel forces in Alabama, Tennessee, and Texas all surrendered. There are still a few Confederate armies out there um, running around, but they surrendered after that, and the war was over. Uh, then five days later... <laughs> what? Say it again? I said yay. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yay, <laughs> indeed. Then five days after the war ended, this guy pre named President Lincoln was shot dead in Ford's Theater. Oh, God. Yeah, five days later. <laughs> it's so, funny that uh, that uh, we're, we're almost, we're pretty much on our anniversary at this point, and we were talking about Lincoln when we started. Uh, full circle. And now we're talking about Lincoln again. <laughs> full circle. It's poetry. It rhymes. I don't know. George Lucas, Red Letter Media, whatever. <laughs> yeah, all of it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, okay, at Lincoln's funeral, Grant stood alone and wept openly, later saying that Lincoln was the greatest man I have ever known. Oh, God. Yeah. Then Vice President Andrew Johnson was sworn into the presidency, and Grant became very worried about this change because Johnson was more of a, let's punish the South rather than let's rebuild the South. Uh, e. And uh, Grant wanted to rebuild the South. Right. Yeah. 
Uh, but Grant remained head of the army, and Congress later gave him the newly created rank of General of the Army of the United States. Which is a mediocre email signature. Actually, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to put that on mine anyway. Sent from my General of the Army of the United States. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Almost done with his adult life. Okay. So, for the next couple of years, Grant's biggest job was basically keeping the peace in the South, which often meant federal deployment of troops, because racial tensions and hatred for federal forces was still, of course, rampant. And that's um, still around today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, meanwhile, Grant's relationship with President Johnson was really starting to fall apart. Grant wanted to protect all people, black and white, under federal law, but Johnson tried to veto this. What? Uh, Johnson, he, he did realize that he needed Grant's support, though, um, because Grant was so popular. So the two basically, they, they then went on a tour together all throughout the United States, and it didn't go too well. Oh, um, great. Okay. Grant called Johnson's speeches a national disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded yeah. like you said he called Johnson's peaches a national disgrace. He did, and his speeches. <laughs> his peaches um, and his speeches were a national <laughs> disgrace. Yeah. Uh, then there was this big political clusterfuck where Johnson tried to get rid of some people in the government who Grant liked. Uh, and then Grant stopped him, so Johnson became super mad at Grant and accused him of lying. <laughs> it's so uh, vague. <laughs> Alright, good enough. It's, yeah. And then everybody hates President Johnson, so he's almost impeached, because, again, his peaches are a national disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's only saved by a single vote. Um, wow. So he remains president. Meanwhile, everybody is really in love with Grant, and it's pretty certain that he is going to be the Republican candidate for presidency in 1868. And with that, it looks like Grant is finally on top and may just become president, and we will find out later. Sounds good. Yeah. But I gotta get to work. Uh, <laughs> what, now? Yeah, in like 50 minutes. Oh, uh... Unfortunately. We could uh, do Charles Lindbergh's End in Death before you go. It's very okay. short. Let's do it. So, Charles Lindbergh's End and Death. I'm going to go Don't as tell. slow as I can because, yeah. <laughs> All right, so when we left Charles Lindbergh, he was touring concentration camps and realizing just how wrong he had been about the whole National Socialism thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, he was still in the Air Force, uh, but at this point, his whole life had just kind of started to fade. Like, remember, he was like a god figure. He was a celebrity. Oh, for sure. Um, and he had spouted off his politics uh, during, before and during the war, um, and people, like, slowly saw that he was... He had the wrong ideas about things, really. Mm. Um, and nobody, people just stopped caring what he thought. Huh. Yeah. Um, so his celebrity sort of melted away, um, and he's just revealed to be this guy who wasn't the legendary figure he was made out to be for, you know, flying from New York to Paris. Interesting. Um, yeah. He just became, you know, and after the whole kidnapping thing, it was just like nobody wanted to have anything to do with him. Yeah. Um, but he spent about 20 years uh, just working a job as a brigadier general in the U.S. Air Force Reserves. Oh, okay. Well. And that's it. I mean, that that's it. Uh, in wow. 1968, he did visit the crew of the Apollo 8 on the eve of their launch and then watched the Apollo 11 go to the moon. Oh, that's kind of cool. Which is pretty crazy, really. Yeah. Um, there was this whole thing where he had a whole bunch of affairs. Sometime in the late hmm. 50s, he started sleeping with three women and had some bastard children. 
uh, who didn't know that their dad was Charles Lindbergh until much, much later on. Oh, that sounds messy. <laughs> and he spent some time working so, for some environmentalist movements. That's that. Okay. He just dies in Maui at 72 years old. He's buried in a modest grave, and the rest is history. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Kind of, he was like, that is amazing. He was the god king of the air, and then he just... Yeah. World War II rolled around, and people had bigger shit to think about, and he was meanwhile going, you know, and hanging out with Henry Ford and Herman Goering. <laughs> it's like... It's a great... A great view of celebrity life. Yeah. I mean, yeah. start rubbing arms with poli- or rubbing elbows with politicians and shit like that. And yeah. I mean... And this is kind of off topic, but is the Spirit of St. Louis still at the Smithsonian? It is, and I have seen it, and it is amazing. Awesome. Yeah. I have not been there. It is not as cool as the other things they have there, but it is cool to see. Mm. It's hanging from the ceiling last I, well, when I was there. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But uh, I know you got to go to work, so I'm gonna let you go. But uh, I guess I guess there's a lot more of Grant. There is a lot more of Grant. Holy shit! We got to uh, do his whole presidency. <laughs> oh God! It's okay. good we didn't do this all in one sitting. I gotta say. Yeah, I gotta say too. Um, yeah. So let's stop. A. Eh? Uh, we'll be right back, listeners. Yeah, we'll be right back. Bye. All right. Well, welcome back to We Talk About Dead People. It is the third day of recording, and today the Christ shall arise from the tomb. See that it is empty. Wait. And behold, his name was James. What? Wait, is the Christ seeing that the tomb is empty? I, I don't know. I. What did? It, what the fuck did I say? You <laughs> said the Christ will rise and then see that the tomb is empty. I think. Yes. So he's gonna look back and be like, "Huh?" <laughs> no, it's it was empty. there was a comma, or a or a or a semicolon in there. It's two sentences. <laughs> Fuck you! I was up till two. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Again, so morning voice in the afternoon mm. or at noon because mm-hmm. it's noon. <sighs> James, mm-hmm. help me recover. Uh, from what? <laughs> From your childhood? That can't be done. <laughs> <laughs> you have the house to yourself, right? I do. Okay, good. Because uh, I was wondering why you weren't, like, screaming or anything. Because that's what you usually do. <laughs> <laughs> when, we have to re- when we have to recover, you just go, ah! <laughs> Hey, it's a good way. It's a good way of recovering from Ow! pretty much anything. Except for, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. All right. I don't know. <clears throat> well, <laughs> where were we with Ulysses S. Grant? The listeners will remember, but we don't. We don't, because we're lazy. No, we've been doing this for three days. <laughs> and a, we had a different episode in the midst of that, too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Little bonus for later on. Little bonus, yep. Awesome. Is that what you Is that what you call your, uh, what's the word? Yeah, it was, it was definitely my porn name. Little bonus. <laughs> That's horrific. <laughs> well, it was definitely uh, for most of my partners, but <laughs> you know. people are gonna stop listening to the show when they realize we only have two jokes: right. the Doppler effect and dick jokes. It's, yeah, definitely. <clears throat> so, do you actually remember where we were? Varus. Uh, yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. As always. Oh, right. We, we've, we're starting with his end and death, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, a good place to yeah, start. <laughs> In the beginning, Ulysses S. Grant died. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. So. Take it away, James. Diving back into it. Admittedly, we have a little bit more to go before we get to Grant's end and death. Um, because he was also a president or something. Uh, <laughs> twice. Uh, almost three matter. times. <laughs> really? All of which I've summarized into four pages. Which is not a script. It's a metaphor for how much brain stuff I've used. Never mind. <sighs> mm. So, let's talk. Brain stuff. Brain stuff, yep. <clears throat> so, uh, for the presidential election of 1868, the Republican delegates all voted that Grant be the Republican candidate. So he was. Yay. Yeah. And he, uh, <laughs> hey, which is which is better than um, the Republican nominations of 2016. Do you remember how many fucking guys and, and also, I think they had one woman on stage, but there's like 50 of them. I know. It's great. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It's it's like a joke. Yeah, it is. Yeah, there, there are it's, more people on stage than in the crowd. It was... I can't believe Saturday Night Live didn't do, like, a sketch <laughs> about it where there were, like, a hundred people on stage. Right. <laughs> yep. I can't, like, I can't believe that. <laughs> like, how do you miss that? It's so obvious. Yeah. But, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, well. Mm. Oh, well. So, okay, so everyone voted for Grant. Uh, and Which he is was pretty, the pretty surprising. You got all the delegates? Yep. Well, he was the he was the candidate. Yep. So he uh, he ran on a platform of giving equal civil and political rights to all, including both African Americans and former Confederate rebels, uh, which I found interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Because uh, a lot of people didn't want to forgive them. No. Um, yeah. Uh, but he was all for fighting for African American enfranchisement. So that is good. Um, as a Republican. And mm. as a Republican. No, I'm just fucking around. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, the election went pretty well for Grant, uh, although the newly formed Ku Klux Klan was up and running and using terror tactics to prevent people, uh, especially black people, from supporting Grant. Uh, so there's that. Um, but he wins the popular vote by not that much, actually. But he wins the electoral vote by a landslide. Oh! <laughs> and at the age of 46, Grant became the youngest president elected up until that point and the 18th president of the U.S., Hooray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. So the presidency is 18 now. <clears throat> mm -hmm. uh, so they can... What can an 18-year-old do? Join the army? <laughs> yep. But not drink. <laughs> no. But they drink anyway when they get in the army. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You think I'm joking? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real problem. It's a, I'm sure it is. It's a very real problem. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know from All right. experience? Are you I know a, a lot. I know a no, no. I just know a lot of veterans my age ah. <clears throat> who have problems with alcohol and had them got picked them up abroad. So oh, that is that just not real. Worth. I mean, I'm not trying to make it depressing. It's just it's a real real problem. But anyway, yeah, no, I believe it. That's... I mean, they just sit in other countries and be world police, and then they go home and have nothing to do. Mm. Yeah. Or they don't go home, they go back to their camps or whatever. <laughs> well, am I, f am I wrong? No, I, I, mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know anything You're just, like, super knowledge. reserved about me telling you what I've learned. <laughs> I'm, I'm tired, too. Oh, I'm okay. tired of the wars. I'm tired of all the wars. Mm. Yeah. But anyway, we were talking about uh, Ulysses S. Grant or something. Mm -hmm. So, uh, <laughs> at Grant's inaugura inauguration... 
President Johnson refused to attend because he still hated Grant. Remember, there was that whole hatred thing. Yeah. Yeah. But Grant kept on being a good guy and gave his inauguration address, urging the country to further the rights of black citizens, rebuild healthy relations with Native Americans, return to the gold standard, and reduce the country's bloated debt. Wow. So, pretty, pretty good things. Yep. Now, I'm going to be pretty brief about Grant's presidency because we're millennials. Uh, but here's the gist of it. Grant seems to have been a really honest and good guy who really wanted to do good for the uh, for the country, but was just way too far and over his head. Uh, oh, no. It's really sad. <laughs> and if you remember early <clears throat> on, like four days ago, I compared President Grant to Ned Stark, and it really yes. is like that. Like, just an honest guy who goes to the Capitol and gets fucked by all the, the corrupt politicians. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I do not watch Game of Thrones, so there you so go. So I just ruined the first season for you, but eh, whatever. He just goes to the Capitol and gets fucked over. I know he dies, because everyone's like, Oh, Sean Bean dies in everything he's in, which is true. Mm-hmm. Um, Except for uh, But I don't think they treasure. do it on purpose. I think they ju- He does... He does doesn't does he die in National Treasure? No, he gets arrested. Uh-huh. Mm. Which it's is worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe they shoot him. I don't know. They cut. <laughs> he could have pulled a gun or something and they shot him. Maybe. Uh, also, can you hear the cicadas on my end? It's like a goddamn bagpipe <clears throat> organ orchestra over here. Uh, a bittersweet symphony. Mm. Oh. Oh. No, I, don't, I can't hear a damn thing. Okay, well. I can just hear my air conditioner struggling to keep up with a 108 degree day. I can hear that. I, I, I can hear that from here. Without yeah, the microphone, definitely. like I can hear... <laughs> It's all the air conditioners in Texas all at once. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> They're just trying desperately to keep up. <laughs> the real plight of the nation. <laughs> okay, so... Um, what are the things that uh, Grant uh, was, like, fucked over for? Yeah, well, let's talk about the good things that he, that he stood for in his presidency. Okay. So... Grant firmly believed that the South should not be punished for rebelling, but that relations should be rebuilt. And he kind of led the nation with this one. He chose former Confederate General James Longstreet to be surveyor of customs in New Orleans, which shocked and amazed both the North and South. So it's kind of not a very important job, but still, it's a government position, and it's a former rebel that he hired, so good move. Um, (laughs) He might be an inside man. The Confederacy exists today. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. In some places. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Uh, I'm looking at you, Kentucky. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Kentucky was a border state, but... Yeah. Shut the fuck <laughs> up with your facts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. All right. So Grant also passed the Amnesty Act, which restored political rights to former Confederates. So he was all for forgiving. Yep. Let them vote. Yeah. So, Grant, uh, remember that General Order Number 11, or I think that was it, when he uh, that he kicked out all the did Jews? Did that thing. Yeah. yeah well, yeah, he that, did what he could thing. to win back trust with the Jewish community, and he appointed a couple of Jewish guys to office. So, it does seem like he was very apologetic about that. Hmm. Who knows? Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Still bad. The good thing is, Grant <laughs> was 110% for making black citizens equal to white citizens. He appointed okay. several African Americans to government positions, such as the American minister to Liberia and also the minister to Haiti, uh, as long as uh, as well as a lot of other positions. And it seems that he was honestly just totally for 
uh, civil rights, which is good. <laughs> yeah, that is good. And he, but he'd been like that his whole life. So yeah, this isn't it, like it's not too surprising. But it, it is surprising when you compare it with the rest of uh, the time. Like <laughs> racism was everywhere, even with the North. I, we talked about that a few days ago. Yeah. Yeah. So. But it's like you know, I, I like this about him because it, it has been his whole life, and he's been passionate about it his whole life. It's not like absolutely. Oh, fifteen years ago, somebody said like. I firmly believe that marriage is between one man and one woman. And then they're like, oh, I changed my mind now. Right, like, right, yeah. You know, hey, it's, it's 2018, I learned, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this guy's had this this principled stance on this his entire life, and I think that's really admirable. Yeah, for sure. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, building off of that, he uh, Grant fought for the rights and protection of Southern blacks who are now finding themselves largely unprotected and at the mercy of new hate groups, most infamously, of course, the KKK. Right. So um, Grant did things such as make sure that Southern states were only allowed back into Congress after adop- adopting the Reconstruction Acts, uh, <laughs> which protected the rights of blacks and also got Congress to pass the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871. <laughs> That's a terrible name. It is. <laughs> it really is. <clears throat> but it's a good act because it gave Grant the authority to use martial law to basically fight against the KKK. Wow. Uh, so he he sent in federal troops and prosecutors led by former uh, led by a former Confederate officer, Amos Ackerman. Um, and at first I was a little unsure of that, but it turns out this guy hated the KKK just as much as Grant did. Um, oh. And their relationship is actually quite famous because Grant and Ackerman, like, did not let the KKK rest for a single second. They just went in there and just pounded them, which is really great, because uh, that's one of the worst points in American history. I mean, were they actually, like, fighting them? Uh, I think so, uh, in a lot of places. A lot of it was also just lawsuits as well. Um, Got it. But basically, several hundred arrests were made, um, and this was in South Carolina, I believe, um, where the Klan was most prominent. And so, Ackerman went in, uh, arrested a few hundred people, and 2,000 Klan members were forced to flee the state. So, just Hmm. decimated by by Grant's actions. Um, and the Klan actually collapsed for a while soon after because of uh, what Grant did. And really? This is often <clears throat> forgotten because I, I want to say, and I, I haven't <laughs> I haven't studied the history of the Klan, but I want to say the Klan has had kind of like rises and falls. I want to say there were three prominent uh, times in the Klan's history. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's also been, it's also lost... Uh, power as well, and this was one, the first time the clan's power really subsided for a while, mm-hmm. uh, if I remember correctly. Well, I, I fully intend to eventually do an episode about somebody in the clan, because... Absolutely, it's... The history of that shit is... It's amazing in a terrible way. <laughs> it's horrific, yeah. yeah. There's a lot There's a lot to it, uh, but we'll do that later. Not now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but soon, yeah. probably, yeah. Okay. So, uh, after the Klan was defeated this time, copycat groups began to spring up in the South and actually took a huge amount of political offices and power and made life for Southern blacks just terrible. Uh, also terrible for Southern whites, who, who sided with the Republicans and uh, civil rights. So, Grant responded by urging Congress to give him power to fight against anti-black violence, and Congress refused. <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, so that's good. Um... <laughs> 
However, they did give Grant the power to pass the Civil Rights Act of 1875, which guaranteed blacks access to public facilities, which, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. But this was ruled unconstitutional in 1883, and it was stopped. Um, Jesus. So, shame on Congress, but at least Grant was doing what he could. Well, Congress has always been bullshit. Everybody knows it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Even Congress. <laughs> um, oh, they know it. They yeah, know it more than anybody. They do. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Uh, another another thing that I, I thought was really neat, um, and you may not agree with it depending on your religious views, but uh, Grant fought for public schools to abandon religious dogma, including in Grant's own words, sectarian, pagan, or atheistical dogmas. Mm. So he wanted it just to be completely pure, I guess. Um, right. And not by and not pure. That, that's the wrong word. But not biased, um, because a lot of public schools were, of course, very Christian at this time. Uh, so interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting for somebody to be like, "Hey, we don't want to be putting a dogma on our kids." Yeah. Uh, right away. For sure. Know, <laughs> yeah. Not good. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway. I, I mean, uh, at this time, a lot of. Christians were using Christianity to su to support racism and slavery, because uh, the Bible can, of it's course, true. be twisted to support that. So I, I can see why dogmas, or religious dogmas, would kind of scare Grant. Um, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> moving on. Grant also did quite All a right. bit to try and help American Indians, uh, because at this time, U.S. relations with Native Americans were... Uh, just abysmal. <laughs> really? Yeah. Why? Yeah, we were kind of assholes to them. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, more than 250,000 Indians were being governed by 370 different treaties, uh, and there were also a few wars going on, so the whole thing was mm. just a clusterfuck. Yeah, 370 different treaties. That's, uh, confusing, yeah. to say the least, I'm sure. <laughs> So, Grant tried to rebuild the system by electing an actual Native American to the U.S. government uh, position of Commissioner of Indian Affairs. Uh, so, you know, that's probably a good idea. Let's let's get a Native American to, to deal with Native it, it, Americans. Uh, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. All right. This guy was also the first Native American to serve with the U.S. government. His name was Eli Samuel Parker. Interesting. Yep. Hmm. Uh, Grant also tried to protect various Indian tribes by encouraging the reservation system, but problems still arose. Uh, gold was found in some of these Indian reservations. There was a ton of... Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> Oil was found in some... <laughs> <laughs> right, <Sorry>. yep. <laughs> uh, there was also a ton of corruption within the government's agency that dealt with Indians. A couple wars sprung up, and of course the Battle of Little Bighorn and General Custer's death took place during Grant's presidency. Oh. And Grant thought Custer was a dumbass. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just another another real quick thing about this is there's been a lot of scrutiny over the reservation system, of course. Um, and a right. lot of people blame Grant for promoting this. But it must be remembered that there weren't many better options being offered at this time. And I'm mm -hmm. not saying the reservation system is good, because of course it has its huge problems. But... Indians were being annihilated, uh, and there were genocides and wars going on this, at this time. So Grant's first uh, concern was just preserving the, the lives of the Native Americans. Uh, mm. So I kind I of see. support him on it, even though it's a, definitely an imperfect solution. Uh, Certainly, yeah. yeah. There's complicated times in history where that... Absolutely, where you have to choose yeah, the lesser no of two perfect, evils. Yeah. Exactly, there's no perfect solution, and, you know, 
in hindsight, it's easy to forget how awful the alternatives were. Absolutely. And it's easy to say, oh, you know, you could have taken more time and come up with something better. And it's like, you know, it's way the hell more complicated than you think it is. Absolutely. Like, well, and remember be. that Grant is dealing with this. He's he's dealing with the civil rights of uh, African Americans. He's dealing with ex-rebel Confederates who hate the government. And his entire right. cabinet or most of the cabinet, is corrupt as fuck, we'll, which we'll get right. into. So, <laughs> it's like Grant versus the world right now, and uh, he do- in my book, he does pretty well. <laughs> like, he did a lot of good things, yeah. Was he was he still hitting the bottle around this time? Uh, I don't actually know. Um, okay. We'll get into that a little, la- a little later. Uh, okay. Another good thing that Grant did is he also helped avoid a third war with Britain, <laughs> which we oh. almost got into. Uh, so basically, during the Civil War, Britain had built a couple warships for the South, uh, and these warships were then used against the North, and the North now wanted reparations from Britain. Okay. In fact, some people went so far as demanding that Britain give up all of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Grant was basically, uh, well, war almost broke out until Grant was basically just like, everybody, calm the fuck down. We don't need Canada. Because <laughs> who the fuck wants Canada? It's more of a burden than anything. <laughs> oh my god. I'm kidding. I, I, I love Canada. <laughs> uh, it's not as bad as some of British former colonies. Uh, I do love Canada. Yeah. Mm. Looking at you, fucking New Zealand! <laughs> yeah. Anyway. New yeah. Zealand. Just, just fuck right off. Yep. Mm. Then there's also this uh, this other thing where Grant wanted to annex the Dominican Republic and add it to the United States, but Congress voted it down. So that's okay. odd. <laughs> uh, another thing that also happened is we almost started a war with Spain. Um, of course we did. Because Spain was trying to crush a rebellion in Cuba. Uh, an American ship was caught bringing aid to the Cuban rebels. The Spanish killed eight of the crew members and captured the ship. Much of America cried for war, but Grant was able to work it out uh, with a Spanish ambassador, and Spain gave money to the families of the people it killed, and we avoided a war. So, good. That is good. Yeah. Hmm. Now, there are some things with the Grant administration that are more infamous. Uh, okay. We'll get into this. So, there's a ton of corruption everywhere uh right with the native americans the entire agency is just corrupt as fuck i mean you have gold in the indian reservations you're gonna have corruption uh and then with the south you have all these carpetbagger republicans taking control and just pillaging the south um so that's good i need you to explain to me what a carpetbagger is a carpetbagger is a loose term uh that southerners gave to northern politicians who came down uh, after the war, took control of different regions of the South, and then just basically looted everything and sent it back up up to the North where they sold it. And I believe the car- term carpetbagger was basically <clears throat> you just throw everything on a carpet, roll the carpet up, and then you ship the carpet North. So, oh, shit. Uh, ba- yeah, corrupt uh, officials who are robbing the South. <laughs> right, And okay. it spawned a lot of hatred between the North and South, which we did not need after the war. <laughs> Good stuff. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, so another thing is Grant tried to return to the gold standard. Um, so these two guys in New York bought a ton of gold and then worked with the government behind Grant's back to basically try and monopolize the gold market. Oh, uh, good. Grant and his advisors eventually managed to stop this, but not before an event known as 
Black Friday, uh, oh. where gold flooded the market, the price of gold plummeted, and the economy took a short nosedive for a bit. So this is seen as one major scandal of the Grant administration, and it's a huge affair that I summarized into one paragraph. Uh, it's super interesting, um, but yeah, the, a lot of people give him crap for that because the economy just plummeted because his, uh, his corrupt cabinet members uh, kind of sided with these monopolizers, and not good, yeah. Okay, uh, he also it's not interesting to me because it's economics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no. So Grant also signed a law that increased his yearly pay from $25,000 to $50,000, uh, and also increased pay for everybody in Congress, too, mm. which isn't unconstitutional, except that he did it all in secret. Uh, oh, uh, <laughs> Shit. You don't do that. No. Uh, So this is known as the Salary Grab Act, (laughs) Uh, and it was repealed by Congress a year later, but uh, they let Grant keep his money, and it also did not help his image. Yeah. (laughs) No shit. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Let me make a law saying I will earn twice as much now. Yes, and everyone in (laughs) And all the people voting on the law will also (laughs) earn twice as much. (laughs) And we're going to do it in secret. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Mm. Uh, so next came the next election of 1872. Grant sought re-election, and he won by quite a lot. Uh, pretty much everybody was happy that there was peace, a healthy economy, and, uh, that the KKK was being pounded. So, people, people liked the guy. Um, Mm. then came some economic turmoil known as the Panic of 1873, as the New York Stock Exchange met some big problems. So Grant had the government buy some bonds of certain companies to try and save them, but this didn't prevent the country from going into a kind of giant depression. <laughs> mm. uh, and again, that's very complicated, but it's economics, so who yeah. the fuck cares? Except for Nobody cares. Yep. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh. so uh, then that passes, and the country returns to a uh, growing economy, especially with uh, industry, so industry starts booming. But at that same time, the government was experiencing all sorts of scandals, and everybody knew it was super corrupt and shit. And although Grant was not linked with pretty much any scandal at all, his administration's name nevertheless became synonymous with scandal. I wonder how all this corruption built up and just exploded. I mean, it must have had something to do with the war. True. And the other thing I came across is remember that Grant was terrible with business. Like, every business venture he had pretty much just (laughs) fell on its ass. So, uh, like, the articles I was reading kept saying that Grant was terrible with business, terrible with money, terrible with economics, so he relied completely on other officials, which, of course, uh, (laughs) can be easily exploited. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say that really opens you up to uh, some exploitation. Yeah, Mm. so, but with every scandal I came across, it seems that Grant's hands were clean. Uh, He he was just in over his head, it seems, uh, which is sad. Because he's regarded as a pretty terrible president now because his administration was so corrupt. Uh, And we'll get to that in just a second. Um, Okay. So there was also corruption within Grant's own inner circle. Uh, Congress found that the Treasury Department was threatening companies to pay unpaid taxes, which were made up. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yep. Uh, (laughs) Oh, God. God, come on. (laughs) The entire Treasury Department is corrupt as fuck. Uh, Then there was the infamous Whiskey Ring, where distillers paid Treasury officials a hefty sum in order to avoid paying taxes. 
And this went, went on until it was exposed on Federal Marshals rated 32 whiskey installations. And uh, this needs to be a movie. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's, it's pretty insane. And I'm not going to go into any of it. But yeah, I mean, whiskey, corruption, and Federal Marshals. What more do you need? Um, Walt Disney. I don't know. True. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, there was a lot more. Tell me more about corruption. <laughs> what? So tell me more about corruption. I will. So uh, the Democrats took control of the House of Reps in 1875, and they immediately did a bunch of investigations uh, and found that pretty much everybody except for Grant was corrupt <laughs> as fuck. <laughs> It's just this one solitary bastion of purity yeah. in the center. <laughs> it's so an sad. alcoholic general. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, that's so sad. The good thing is Grant... <laughs> I feel bad for him. <laughs> Grant was really apologetic to the nation, and uh, he said that failures have been heirs of judgment, but not of intent. Uh, so he did I don't know. What? So go ahead. I was going to say, maybe that's... From him, but from everybody else, it seems to be a problem with intent. Yeah, for sure. I think he was referring to himself here, uh, just because... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Oh, oh, but he did increase his salary 200%, so who knows? Yeah, so he's... Uh, when you say his hands were clean, you, I think you mean they were mm, Mostly, a little dirty. Yeah. <laughs> just a little... Yeah. Um, and maybe he's just being portrayed as a dumbass, and he was secretly the most corrupt person ever. Who knows, mm, yeah. Who yeah. knows... Okay, so Not then the me. election. I know nothing. <laughs> then the election right. of 1876 comes around, and Grant wanted to run for a third term because remember that was allowed at this time. Um, right. But the the country still liked Grant, but they really hated his administration. So right. Grant was not really suited for the politics of the White House, and he he didn't win the Republican nomination. And uh, Rutherford B. Hayes became next president. Okay. Yep. So then Grant... I know nothing about Rutherford B. Hayes. Say it again? Uh, ex I know nothing about Rutherford B. Hayes. Neither do I. <laughs> Except that he be Hayes. I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. All right. Carry on. So then Grant went on a grand tour of the world for two and a half years. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. And he met with people like the Pope, Otto von Bismarck, Queen Victoria, and Emperor Meiji of Japan. <laughs> So, uh, okay. and this was actually a, a big deal because it, it had an impact as America's status worldwide and more and more people began to realize that America was an uh, emerging world power. So yeah. that came to play. Well, if you're meeting with people like Otto von Bismarck. Yeah, that's I a mean, big deal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Grant gets back after this little trip and he decides to run for president again in 1880. Uh, but the Republican Party was unsure of this, so they ended up picking James A. Garfield instead. Okay. And Grant ended up throwing his weight behind Garfield, and when he learned later that Garfield had been shot and killed in 1881, Grant wept bitterly. Oh, uh, no! That's <laughs> so sad. <laughs> that's so sad. Yep. Oh, he lost S his friend. Yeah. Uh, then Grant realized he was pretty much completely bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> what? Like, out of nowhere? Oh, shit, no money. Yeah, so he had a little bit of money left, and he invested all of it uh, into a couple businesses. Then he took out a, t uh, a couple loans and invested it all in these same businesses. And then all these businesses failed <laughs> and left Grant completely penniless. Oh. Yeah, so really sad. Shit. Mm -hmm. A penniless president. Yeah, it's, it's a weird wow. thought. That is weird. 
So, to make money, Grant started writing for various magazines about his experiences in the Civil War. Uh, he also started writing a personal memoir. Uh, then he got throat cancer. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah. And his last public appearance was in New Jersey on August 4th, 1884, when he received a standing ovation from over 10,000 veterans. So, Damn. that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, that is kind of cool. Then the New York Times found out he had cancer because he was trying to keep it secret, but uh, somehow the New York Times found out, and they released the news to the public, and everybody was distraught by the news, because uh, pretty much everyone loved Grant. It was, it was kind of odd. Um, huh. So Congress, Congress hears of this, and they restore Grant's rank as General of the Army with full retirement pay in order to honor him and help him financially. Wow. Uh, Still, Grant was very worried about leaving money for his wife and family, uh, and no publisher was offering enough money for his memoirs. So, this other guy, uh, who was friends with Grant, this guy named Mark Twain or something... Who the hell is that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't but, know. uh, this Mark Twain offers to publish the memoirs with almost all of the money going to Grant's family, um, which is wow. unheard of for publishing, uh, companies. And I believe Grant got 70% of all the money that came from the memoirs. Uh, so that's Damn. Cool. Mm. Yeah. So Grant finished his memoirs and then died from cancer a few days later on July 23rd, 1885, aged 63. His body was transported uh, from New York, or to New York City, where the funeral was held. And the funeral saw one and a half million viewers, several tens of thousands of Civil War veterans from both sides, uh, and they actually accompanied Grant's body in this giant parade. Wow. Uh, President Grover Cleveland and former Presidents Hayes and Arthur were both there, and Grant's pallbearers were both Union and former Confederate generals. Uh, wow. Because they all just had so much respect for the guy. Uh, and then the nation entered a, uh, an official 30-day period of mourning put forth by President Cleveland. Um, and his body was then moved 12, 12 years later to the General Grant National Memorial in New York City, which is the largest mausoleum in North America to this day. Damn. Yeah. Um, and his memoirs were published and praised by fucking everybody. Uh, <laughs> even Mark Twain said they were a literary masterpiece. <laughs> Damn. So I'm definitely, That's pretty cool. I'm definitely going to have to read these. Um, and then a, a real quick word about Grant's legacy is... After his death, he was praised as one of the best Americans ever. Um, and then in the mid-20th century, people started really hating on Grant because of how corrupt his administration was and for mm. kind of the war of attrition thing he implemented into, in the Civil War. So his fame just took a, a skydive um, for a while, and a lot of people hated Grant. And just recently, in the last few years, uh, his people are starting to respect him again. And I think that's probably, I, I think I'm on board with that. Um, he definitely had his problems, but he did do some really amazing things. And like you said, he really had those beliefs that he held on to for his entire life, like abolition of slavery and equal rights for blacks. And that has to be respected, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I mean, a big name like that, an advocate for those kinds of things, I mean from such i mean for so long yeah um is huge and you know literally fighting the kkk right yeah that's huge like putting your money where your basically mouth is. yeah basically wiping them out for a time mm -hmm. i mean that's amazing yeah that's that is an amazing accomplishment and you know 
the whole thing with the <laughs> the whole thing with the Jews during the Civil War. Now that can't be forgotten, right? Right, for sure. Um, yeah. But I mean, considering the time mm-hmm. and considering the era, um, he was. I mean, it sounds to me like he was one of the more moral leaders. Absolutely. Uh, and besides the salary thing and the expulsion of Jews, that sort of thing. I mean, that's yeah. I, it sounds. I like mean, he, it's really. Yeah. Go ahead. He may not have been the best president, and I don't know if he was made out for that. But he, I, I think he did what he could with what he had, uh, and just got screwed a lot of times by who he was entrusting. Um, and yeah, yeah, he had a few couple things that, like with, with the the Jewish thing you you said earlier. But I don't know. Um, a lot of good things as well. <laughs> well, it's like you could choose. It's sort of like uh, when somebody uses a chart to prove a point or something. Mm. And you say up the scale or zoom in a bit so it looks like there's this mega big difference between these two statistics or something. Right. But if you zoom out and put it into context, it's like they're only a little bit different. Yeah. It's just manipulated because you're, you're sort of being forced to focus on one aspect. Yeah. It would be really easy to focus on on the uh, order that he sent out during the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, and it should not be forgotten. No, and it should not be forgotten. But it, in context with everything else, it's like, you know, Grant comes across as a, as a, uh, at least a largely principled man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I have some admiration for that kind of thing. Me too. Because, hey, it's not, it's not, it pro- I mean, it definitely wasn't fucking easy. There was a war over it. Yeah. Um, to stand up for the rights of, of African Americans and that sort of thing. Um, that's a big deal. Yeah. It's a really fucking big deal. And to put your money where your mouth is, like you said, and just actually go in and physically combat it, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that's, that's a damn good thing. So, yeah. for what that's worth. And another thing I, I think that stands up for grant is the fact that so many confederates or former confederates loved him and respected him uh including people like robert e lee and i mean there are confederates marching in his his funeral like to to believe in a rebellion (laughs) uh to lose the rebellion and then to still love the guy who beat you that that must mean that guy's pretty awesome (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. so Mm. pretty impressive good game yeah yeah and it's and it's it's another interesting thing i always get reminded of brigham young when we come across someone like this because it's like you know you, it's really hard to paint somebody as being all evil unless they really are all evil yeah um and you know grant was flawed mm-hmm. but he wasn't evil because we've covered evil people absolutely I mean, <laughs> that's the that's a clear thing there's a clear distinction between people who are like downright straight up 100 percent, you know balls to the wall evil yep <laughs> And people who did some things that are kind of gross and wrong and and whatnot, um, but there's there's a serious difference between a true villain and somebody who was, um, who did just a couple of things wrong. Yeah, and a lot of things. Uh, are and right. it's harder. It's getting harder and harder to see that nuance uh, these days when it's just it's so easy to like, you know, somebody did one thing wrong. Yeah, and they're you know they lose their job or, or they're they're uh, expelled from their country or they're even you know back in the day like you might be executed for being yeah. a political you know a counter revolutionary or whatever, uh, and it's getting harder and harder to give people credit for the good things they do and you know definitely at least point out and remember the bad things that they mm-hmm. do um, without equating everything to being disastrously evil. Yeah, 
Um, so in this case with, with Grant, it's like, yeah, he's a complicated guy and he had some principles mm-hmm. and he stuck to them. And, uh, he also fucked up a lot. He was bad at business. He, he was a drinker, you know, he got, he got, lost his job for that. You know, he was, he ended up being penniless and he was part of a corrupt administration and that sort of thing. And he raised his salary and it's like, yeah, yeah. but he also directly combated the KKK. Like you can't forget that part of it. Yeah. So from from like like the perspective I get on this is like is like a, he's a, he's a he's like a complicated hero mm-hmm. in a movie. Yeah, or something like that. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Um. Like I'm trying to think of a of an example. Well, the whole Han shot first thing. How about that? <laughs> okay. Like Han killed a guy in cold blood. Like you could focus on that, or you could. And and then go back and change it so he doesn't do it <laughs> because you know, right. um, or you could just be like, oh shit, the guy is a cold blooded killer. Right. <laughs> it's true. He is. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I think you're right. Yeah. Maybe I'm talking too much. No, you're you're fine. I'm just looking for a, a quote at the moment. Um, oh. And I. Um, well, there's a quote of Grant that I want to read on the air, but uh, I don't have it, so I get... We're going to have to beep this, because I have to find it, because it's a great quote. Okay, we're going to beep it. I'm going to mark this... Alright, well, I can't find the quote. Um, Damn it. But basically, it, it's from the from the Civil War, and it's uh, Grant's thoughts uh, upon first confronting the enemy, and he's just absolutely terrified. Um... As he's getting closer and closer to the enemy encampment, uh, which is just over a hill, and his, I remember his heart is in his throat, he's wishing he was just back home in Illinois, uh, he thinks he's gonna die, and then he gets over the hill, and he sees that the enemy is completely gone, and that they had fled their camp, and he realizes that as afraid of, as afraid he was of them, they were more afraid of him, uh, and he said from that point on, he never feared a battle. (laughs) Wow. So, but it's a lot better than what I just paraphrased it as. So, go look it up. Oh, shit. Yeah. No, I want to find it. (laughs) Here's a quote. I only know two tunes. One of them is Yankee Doodle and the other isn't. (laughs) (laughs) I have never advocated war except as a means of peace. So seek peace, but prepare for war. Because war, war never changes. War is like winter, and winter is coming. Wait, is that Grant? That's Ulysses S. Holy Grant. Holy shit! <laughs> oh my god! Everyone too. Fallout, <laughs> Game of Thrones, everything. <laughs> it all goes back to Grant. <laughs> it all goes back to Grant. Wait, read that. Ag- read that again. <laughs> uh, I have never. Should I do it in the voice? Yes. I have never advocated war except as a means of peace. So, seek peace, but prepare for war. Because war... War never changes. War is like winter, and winter is coming. (laughs) Oh my god, that's so amazing. Isn't that amazing? Wow! Oh my god. That is... That is better than (laughs) what we were looking for. Yeah. Oh, uh, I'm still looking. Yeah. I'm still looking. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I think I might have it. Oh? Oh? If this website ever 
ever listen to We're approaching four hours. <laughs> We're such idiots. Uh, we have got to slow this down. All right, I, I, I found it. I'm going to send you the link because you have a better voice. Harris had been encamped in a creek bottom for the sake of being near water. The hills on either side of the creek extend to a considerable height, possibly more than a hundred feet. As we approached the brow of the hill from which it was expected we could see Harris's camp and possibly find his men ready, formed to meet us, my heart kept getting higher and higher until it felt to me as though it was in my throat. I would have given anything then to be back in Illinois, but I had not the moral courage to halt and consider what to do. I kept right on. When we reached a point from which the valley below was in full view, I halted. The place where Harris had been encamped a few days before was visible, but the troops were gone. My heart resumed its place. It occurred to me at once that Harris had been as much afraid of me as I had been of him. This was a view of the question I had never taken before, but it was one I never forgot afterwards. From that event to the close of the war, I never experienced trepidation upon confronting an enemy, though I always felt more or less anxiety. I never forgot that he had as much reason to fear my forces as I had his. The lesson was valuable. <laughs> oh, it's so badass. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I kind of feel... I really want to read his memoirs now. Oh, same here. Especially if Mark Twain said it was a literary masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah. And Mark Twain's a tough critic, mm, too. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. But anyway. Well. I think... I think. Yes? We should wrap up this long-ass episode. <laughs> I think so. And head to the surface! <laughs> What are you going to do for the rest of the day? Well, I think that I need to secede from the Union, or or uh, fly across the Atlantic, or maybe earn some sweet, sweet revenge against Lord History. Oh, shit. Well, we're going to get our revenge. Don't worry. Good. It will come. Good. We're planning an attack of massive, Good. massive scale. Ah, uh, still not there. Okay, well, whatever. Just let still me know. Still not there. <laughs> All right. And what are you going to do for the rest of the day? <laughs> I am going to try to wake the fuck mm. up because I feel so sleepy and it's one o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Which is not cool because it's my day off and I feel like I'm wasting it by being so sleepy. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, Safety you know. pins to the eyeballs. It works. <laughs> I am blind, but awake. <laughs> I think it's about time to bring the show to an end for today. <laughs> Feel free to send all your hate mail to we talk about dead people podcast at gmail.com. We will read all of, all of it and not along. If you hate us, you're probably right. If you like us, though, please consider funding the show by becoming a patron on Patreon.com. That's Patreon.com slash WeTalkAboutDeadPeople. Even as little as a dollar, as much as it costs to buy a weasel wheel, helps tremendously. Our cover art was created by the extremely gifted Ian Patterson, the Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his phenomenal work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. With all that being said, we'll close out and let the sound of drugs play you out. What do drugs sound like, James? I'm trying to think. <laughs> Oh,
la 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 la. I don't know. We have. Bra. <laughs>